At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. This week, we have a special podcast for you, which is about the state of Australian wrestling. And there is no finer person to speak about this than the doyen of Australian wrestling. There we go. Getting all, all building you up here. Dr. Kevin mm. Chiat. How are you, Kevin? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much. That is too kind to uh, bill me in that way. Um, though I do think this is the first podcast I've done since I've been an official doctor. So that's fun. I notice. Yes. If um, I do, I'm wondering what is it, is your doctorate in? There's obviously one area I do want to ask. Is it, is it thugonomics at all? <sighs> I wish, I, I wish I was a doctor of Thugonomics. No, um, technically, kind of media, cultural studies slash gender studies. Uh, my thesis was on uh, was on basically representations of masculinity in superhero stories. Uh, so that's what I spent a very long time basically writing a book on. Um, and 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 yeah, now uh, I've finished everything, and in about a few weeks I get to have my full graduation ceremony which I'm looking forward to and then after that I can actually get to publishing academic articles about pro wrestling as well which is uh one of my other goals that is brilliant and that's something that I um I, I take an interest okay I've got all these pdf of wrestling dissertations and mm. theses and things like that and they're the most fascinating reading and I advise that to anyone out there the kind of academic study of pro wrestling but congratulations Thank that's you. A, a hell of an achievement um but also yeah you mentioned about writing for pro wrestling you you've uh primarily i'm i'm aware of you your writings of uh for voices of wrestling mm -hmm. and, um the uh the new japan book as well we spoke uh, a lot yeah i've um done a couple articles throughout i think the 2017 and 2018 books mm -hmm. uh Maybe the 2019 one. I also did some uh, of the profiles of like the Australian talent who were on some of the uh, Down Under tours in like 2018 and uh, was it uh, 27, 2018 and 2019. Um, mm -hmm. So I did some of that, uh, which was uh, fun and great to do. And then uh, Joe and Rich and all the rest of the team at Voices of Wrestling have given me this fantastic platform to just write about uh, Australian wrestling shows, which uh, I'm very happy to be part of that team and to get that platform. Uh, 
and I, I have to also mention my uh, partner, the uh, mysterious Scorpio Core, who uh, actually came out of retirement to join me on my latest review of uh, EPW's Collision Course. Uh, so we'll get into the plugs at the end, but <laughs> I was very happy to be able to welcome him back to uh, wrestling reviewing because he was the first guy uh, before me who was actually writing about Australian wrestling for uh, four voices of wrestling and it, uh, definitely helped me uh, understand some of the scene outside of my local area. Because obviously you're, you're based in Perth, mm-hmm. um, which we were speaking about is the most isolated capital city in the world. Um, yes. to give some people an example geographically, because we're going to talk about the kind of Perth scene later on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, how far away would be the nearest major city to you? So uh, Australia is made up of six states and two territories. Uh, mm-hmm. WA is the biggest state as well as the least uh, densely populated. So I'm in, per- I'm in Perth, which is on the western seaboard, uh, I think facing the Indian Ocean. I really should know which ocean it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're next to. Uh, so Perth is uh, about three hours flight away from Adelaide, which is the nearest uh, city of kind of any comparable size. And for example, it's three hours, I think, to Adelaide, about three and a half, four hours uh, flight to Melbourne, five hour flight to Sydney. Uh Australia is the size of the continental United States, but has a hundredth, if not less than a hundredth of the population. So, and then that's one of the interesting things in terms of especially Australian wrestling. I think people in the UK or US who look at Australian wrestling from afar, they don't understand how bloody big Australia is and how isolated kind of each city scene is and each state is almost like its own territory as such. And it's almost, I think, more worthwhile to talk about West Australian wrestling or Victorian wrestling or the continual basket case that is Queensland wrestling uh, rather than talking about Australian wrestling as a whole. That's that's how it's always come across to me. And just because of the sheer distances, it feels like um, a lot of these promotions exist in a, in a kind of bubble. Um, mm-hmm necessarily and they're kind of obviously closely in tune with their own sort of training schools as well so i mean what would be the major major promotions in in kind of each of the state is it is it a case where there's one major promotion for most of the states i'd say in most states there's one major promotion uh south australia is probably a bit different in that south australia which is the city adelaide's in um that has two promotions of similar uh size and uh, weight, which would be Wrestle Rampage, which uh, was founded by uh, Jag Hartley Jackson. And I don't think he was part of the founding, but he's definitely been part of running the promotion since then. Uh, Jonah Rock, uh, Mm. now Bronson Reed in WWE, and Riot City Wrestling, uh, which is the promotion Rhea Ripley originally started at. Um, So that's the only place where there's really two promotions in one city which are kind of almost equally powerful Mm. Uh, in all the other states as such there tends to be one promotion which kind of stands out from the other ones in its geographical area as such Uh, 
but uh, that's something we can discuss in greater depth. But certainly, uh, I think that Adelaide situation, that South Australia situation, is interesting because the politics between Riot City and Wrestle Rampage really uh, hold both promotions back. It is a case I'm imagining where there's they're fighting over scraps. Is it one of those situations where if there was a I think to an extent coexistence and running dates and things like that yeah they they have basically there's almost always been this very firm wall between right city wrestling and wrestle rampage that no one can really explain why it's like this um at all it's just like this very strange mystery and in my opinion you've got probably in the city the roster for one good promotion and instead you get two mediocre promotions uh, because of that inability for them to work together in almost any way. I say almost because on their last show, um, there's one new girl, Lily Blaze, who started at Wrestle Rampage, and she was meant to work a wrestler from Sydney. But currently, Sydney is in total lockdown, New South Wales. Uh, COVID, uh, the Delta variant, is running wild in New South Wales, and I don't expect any shows in New South Wales for like at least the next two months. Uh, so obviously that wrestler couldn't make it. So they actually did bring in one of the new wrestler, female wrestlers from Riot City Wrestling to uh, face Lily Blaze on that Wrestle Rampage show. And that's the first time there's been any sort of crossover in that way for maybe five, six years. Oh, I... I, I... So it's more like the territories than we kind of even thought at points, mm. with the, even down to the kind of pointless feuds over stuff. Which oh, oh, yes. There is back. so much pointless feuding. Um, oh. So much. We had a lot of that in the UK. There is a lot of that. And it's interesting. And I suppose going into kind of what are the state of a lot of these companies? And we mentioned, mm. you know, I tend um, to think of Australia as the big three companies being MCW, PWA and EPW. But yep. like, in um, what, what position are they in, in a sort of, I'm not, I don't even want to say a post COVID world because yeah, you mentioned the Delta variant. It feels like cases are going up here, but hospitalizations aren't because of the vaccine program. Uh, is it a similar situation in Australia as well? Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. And it's funny that we're talking about the Delta variant because that new right city wrestling uh, woman star who we were just talking about, her ring name is Delta. Oh, well, she should keep it if nothing else. I think there's yeah. at least there's a currency that at least it'll get some kind of heat. Oh, she'll get so much heat if she goes to New South Wales now. <laughs> she... uh, but uh, I think everything is in a very weird place. Uh, and especially, I think, not so much WA, like EPW in particular, has been, I think, smart about it. Uh, the Victorian and New South Wales promotions, um, we can talk about it more in specifics. Uh a bit later, but I think a lot of them haven't quite clicked on to uh, the fact that booking anyone who has to travel state borders at the moment, you're basically at like 50% chance you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to deliver that match. Mm. Um, what's happened in Australia, obviously, from the outside, Australia dealt with 2020 uh, better than most of the other developed countries in the world. Um, Victoria and Melbourne was in a, a long, like, 100-and-something-day lockdown uh, throughout much of the winter and early spring of 2020. Um, but basically, in, say, where I am in Perth, uh, 
shows were basically able to start up again in some ways from this time last year. We had the first kind of uh, small shows back. Um, and definitely Australia has been in a case where we've been able to get back to normal, uh, kind of normal state of living for the most part a lot quicker than the rest of the world because uh, they were able to do stuff like hotel quarantine and uh, stopping travel between the individual states. So if you had a breakout in one city, it didn't necessarily find its way from, say, Sydney to Perth or Brisbane to Canberra. It was able to be contained to an extent. Uh, the problem is that our federal government uh, screwed up really badly and basically did a deal last year to only get AstraZeneca to cover the entire population of Australia. So they had a deal for Pfizer vaccines as well, but less Pfizer vaccines uh, because they were going to manufacture, manufacture AstraZeneca. Um, they were going to manufacture AstraZeneca in a facility at Melbourne. And then April this year, it came out that, okay, now people under 50 are being recommended not to get AstraZeneca because of the very uh, small chance of getting a blood clot, which that chance increases as you get younger. Um, and recently they've upped that advice to uh, people under 60 rather than people under 50. Uh, should be uh, getting Pfizer as their preferred vaccine. Um, so that's put the rollout of the vaccine um, in Australia really off track, and um, it's all the fault of our federal government. Uh, and if you care about Australia in general, or in particular Australian, Australian wrestling, if you want to like blame someone for why things are starting to stall now after maybe it was looking pretty good, uh, blame our federal government and uh, vote against the Liberal Party and the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Scott Morrison at the next election. Well, Labour were due to win the last. I remember seeing when it came to the election. Oh, that was, yeah, that was, yeah. Uh, that was a crushing night for me. Um, that was an absolutely crushing night. Who was the Labour uh, candidate for that? Uh, that was Bill Shorten, who was the uh, opposition leader now. Then, now we have uh, Albo. Anthony Albanese, who I'm hoping will be the next Prime Minister of Australia, because our current Prime Minister is um, an evil git. Uh, I know there's a lot of those around, uh, but he's <laughs> particularly evil git, and in particular, his poor decision-making has uh, impacted Australian wrestling, and I think the example uh, of his government, especially with regards to how the government does not take sexual harassment or abuse of women seriously, I think is part of the reason why we can look at the wider society picture of, mm. oh, uh, Australian wrestling, speaking out, it, it's it's something worth talking to, but worth talking about, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's funny that you you mentioned there about in terms of some of the cancelled shows and we will come on to um speak speaking out in a in a bit and about how how companies have, have dealt with them but it mcw were they due to have a show this weekend was it not due to be uh, winter mcw war? is running uh ah, that is running Saturday. is it ah, yes and that was cancelled um, last month though wasn't they it? cancelled it last month it's happening now um 
some of the matches that were booked for last month, I think the Untouchables were going to come over from Perth and challenge for the tag titles, but they aren't able to um, come over because despite both Victoria and WA being in pretty good positions at the moment, uh, travel isn't entirely free Mm. uh, in terms of not having any quarantine restrictions. Uh, So I know that one couldn't happen. I think for the most part, it's a pretty similar card to what it otherwise would have been. Because it's, I mean, you mentioned that about in terms of bringing in the untouchables from um, from Perth in there as well. I mean, did most of the bigger promotions do they coexist well in terms of sharing talents? As long as, as long as it's not clashing with dates. I mean, you mentioned obviously the situation in Adelaide before with the competing promotions, but state like if you're if you're an EPW, are you, mm. you know, is is that the norm for? I think in terms of interstate bookings, for the most part, yes. Uh, for the most part, like um, even uh, promotions, uh, and there's some promotions that I think have a really unhealthy attitude, especially with their trainees or wrestlers who are early in their careers, where they basically say, oh, all your bookings need to go through us rather than actually letting people make their own decisions as mm. to where and when they work. Uh, but in terms of uh, people traveling between states and working shows for different states there's normally not that much um politics involved or potential backlash it's really in terms of that that tends to be more common in the one geographical area where maybe Mm. um promotions can get territorial over their talent or put peer pressure on their talent to not accept bookings from uh potential actual rivals you know people who are actually rivals for money rather than just you know being worried about internet buzz or whatever i mean do you think though it's a really funny thing and i don't want it to sound like i'm in favor of say isolationism or Mm -hmm. um or like restrictions on the amount of imports or wrestlers from out of state do you think there's there's been an opportunity though to sort of develop some younger wrestlers and there's been the kind of like maybe discover a few people in the time that since most of the reopened shows, which I want to say started in sort of January, February of this year mm. in Australia. Was it February? Uh, yeah, I guess the first ones properly back were really January or in late December last year, maybe. Uh, I, I think you're probably right. Uh, a lot of people I think haven't taken as much advantage as they should have um in terms of building up young talent which we can get into more when discussing specific promotions uh and in a lot of cases i think particularly uh with victoria uh both mcw but also deathmatch down under who lost who uh who launched this year uh, who properly launched this year they've had so many matches that they've had to cancel because they've booked people from interstate who ended up not being able to mm. uh make it over because of covid restrictions and you know it, this happened a lot in like their first two shows and to an extent i'm just from an outside observer i'm like have you not learnt your lesson yet yeah because they keep having this problem but you know it's obviously it's not my money it's not my decision making but i just know that if i was actually promoting i'd be very very reticent to book something where i don't have the confidence that i'm actually going to be able to produce the match 
also as well, just in terms of cost, how much does it cost in terms of, and this may sound a really silly question, but if you're flying people in from, say, Melbourne to Perth, how much would that generally be? Because that seems like if you can avoid that kind of expense, particularly at this point in time, I mean... I mean, that's the biggest problem for wrestlers from Perth in terms of working outside WA is that in particular, Perth is, for the most part, the most expensive city to fly people in and out of. Um, And especially like there is no option for driving, whereas Sydney to Melbourne, it's a lot quicker to uh, take a plane, but someone could do the drive if they really wanted to Mm. or could do like a train or a um, or a bus coach if they really had to. Uh, so certainly it's a lot easier for people to go in a normal situation. It's a lot easier for people to go between Adelaide and Melbourne or uh, Melbourne and Sydney compared to people coming from Perth or some of the other cities uh, which are more geographically isolated. It's, it's also difficult as well with the system in terms of having imports for any length of time outside of super shows do you think that's been a been a particular issue where we've been kind of lucky in the uk where you might have say someone like an eddie kingston who was Mm -hmm. planning to stay here for longer due to covid but had been over here for like sort of like a i want to say nearly two months and he got to work consistently but also running a lot of training sessions in a lot of places do you think that's something that the australian wrestling it, it just through the sheer logistics and and geography of the country doesn't get a chance to do yeah, I guess pre-COVID, um, there were times when it did happen. Um, and, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, and it's a, a complicated story, but in particular, Australian wrestling as a scene kind of developing uh, was very much in the aftermath of the UK scene's development. And uh, going to get into names, Will Ospreay's involvement in Australian wrestling in particular Mm -hmm. was really key to getting people outside Australia to pay attention to both Australian wrestlers and uh, Australian promotions. Uh, To an extent, I can link this back to Marty Skrull's appearance at the MCW7 tournament in 2016 Mm -hmm. as the first uh, thing which really kicked off um, people from outside looking at Australia. Um, And again... (laughs) I, I actually discussed this quite a bit with Will Cooling when I did his podcast, but uh, there is this interesting and uh, strong connection between Brit Ress and Australian wrestling, both with people going both ways. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, you can't tell the story of the past decade in Australian wrestling without talking about people who were stars in the UK who have had that star diminished generally by their own personal failings. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel that way. And you mentioned about um, Will Ospreay. It felt like it was a, it was a big deal. I mean, the match with Adam Brooks kind mm-hmm. of led to Adam Brooks coming over for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. And I think it actually, unfortunately for him, um, and I suppose, you know, we, we, we can go into kind of one of the one of the first of the bigger promotions, the promotion he's champion in in, in MCW now. Um, but it felt like with Adam Brooks, he was a wrestler who what we had been it was almost like we expected an Osprey clone. And he isn't an Osprey clone, Mm-mm. really in the slightest, and he's kind of discovered himself a bit more. I mean, um, what's your thoughts on the overall state of MCW? Because 
that's the promotion I'm most familiar with. Yep. It's the one where I've, I've seen um, the last three shows. I'm looking forward to seeing Winter Warfare as well when that comes out. I mean, how do you, what kind of state do you see them being in? Uh, well, I, I would say, I think if you were going to say what is the premier promotion in Australia at the moment, um, and I'd say it has been for my opinion, going back to about 2016, uh, you'd say Melbourne City Wrestling, MCW, um, which is based in Victoria, obviously in Melbourne, you know, it's in the name. It's why I got annoyed when they changed the main belt to the MCW World Championship. I'm like, the name of your promotion is Melbourne City Wrestling. You don't need to call it a world belt. Your your like your very name is parochial. Yeah. Anyway, the, uh, this is an, an an argument which uh, I, I was complaining about like two years ago. And I think so. The Victorian Championship. There'll there'll be a lad from Geelong who'll be in there coming to, oh, to yeah. come and claim about that. Um. So so anyway. Uh, but Melbourne City Wrestling, uh, I, I would say, is still the promotion which has got the highest profile internationally and nationally. Um, it's gone through significant changes over the past year, two years. Um, Chris Fresh, who was the head booker for a long time, who I think is the best creative mind in Australian wrestling, uh, he left at the end of 2019. He just naturally finished up his run and was ready to take a break and go off and do other things. Uh, Mikey J, who owned the promotion uh, for quite a while, um, he was the booker for the start of 2020. And then COVID hit and everything stopped for everyone throughout the world, but particularly in Victoria in terms of Australia. Uh, COVID hit and then obviously speaking out hit, which affected all promotions in all countries and all scenes in terms of particularly independent wrestling but Australian wrestling as well as uh Australian wrestling as well as independent wrestling overall um so as things were being worked out in kind of that very weird state that we were in about a year ago uh he ended up basically moving on uh, not because there was any sort of claims against him. He just needed, to my understanding, and I'm not speaking for him, but he just needed space away from it. And he sold uh, the promotion to Jay Andrews, uh, who was running the MCW Academy, and, Ro and Rohan Herbstreet, who um, runs the PR firm that does all of WWE's PR in Australia. Uh, so they're the current owners and people in charge of modern mcw which is what you've been watching lately mm. and it you you mentioned it there i mean i think the first thing that i think of when looking at mcw and this is having watched all of the shows is the production values mm -hmm. the kind of facilities they have for the training because mm -hmm. i don't know that they probably in just backstage skits of crackerjack goes back to school but what you do see is you you look at it and go like well hang on a minute this seems like a very good professional setup this feels like something that's even the fact that it's got a couple of hard cams um the the, the fact in terms of the entrance music even the thornbury theater in and of yeah. itself is great for an for an 
um, an aesthetic. I mean, have you have you had a chance to go to the Thornbury Theatre yourself a, a few times? Yeah, I was um, at MCW for Ballroom Brawl 2019. Uh, so that was a couple of years ago now. Uh, and that, that was a really fun show and it was a really great atmosphere. Um, MCW have been doing their big shows at the Thornbury Theatre for almost the entirety of their existence. Like I think their very first show was in the Thornbury Theatre, but it might have been in a different room. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but that's been their big show venue. And basically, I think at the start of 2019, they went to basically doing pretty much all their shows in the Thornbury Theatre. It's a, it's a really nice theatre venue uh, that can hold about 700 people at absolute maximum. Uh, they obviously haven't been able to get really near there because of uh, COVID restrictions this year. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think MCW have, in my opinion, always had uh, some of, if not the best production values uh, in Australian wrestling, at least as long as I've been uh, looking outside of my own little bubble of Western Australia. Uh, but definitely um, you can see that there was some changes in terms of the uh, production team when the new ownership came in at the start of this year in terms of them being able to uh, implement changes like if you look at that first show from this year uh, I, I think they were trying to go for a bit more of a riptide style mm -hmm. cinematography and in the later shows I've seen uh, from MCW they've kind of pulled back on that a little bit it looks a bit more like traditional pro wrestling in terms of how they're shooting it but yeah, um, Melbourne City Wrestling, I think, historically has and now does have very high production values in terms of the uh, VOD product in particular. It is, I'm reminded by a lot of sort of WXW, mm. um, primarily of the sort of the, of the European promotions there as well. I mean, mentioned there about some of the production values, but I mean, it also appears to be it's got, it's got a, a relatively deep roster for a small uh kind of promotion in terms of uh people they've got there although three of them are really due to the go back to the states at any time yeah. so that's gonna it's, have it's, a it's a it's an interesting we say it's a deep roster because it's also yeah. a roster that's bleeding people both in terms of the people that they're really running with at the moment like i'd say they're running more so than anyone else with adam brooks as their world champion Slex is kind of the local legend as such, and Kellyanne, who's now the women's champion, they are all contracted to Ring of Honor. And basically, I think Ring of Honor could say at any time, okay, we're going to proper touring and you've got your visas, so we'll pay to fly you out and you can, you'll live in the US now at any time. Um, so that's one of the things. And they're also kind of bleeding talent in other ways. Like for example, uh, Richie Taylor left after their show a couple months ago, Lockie Hendricks, who is slash was the inter-commonwealth champion. Uh, he's recently left the promotion. Um, it's definitely interesting in terms of MCW. Now you can see it's in a transition phase and it's very much. Uh, you know, whenever there's a power change at any level in any organization, there's going to be changes in terms of uh, who stays around and who goes. And uh, you can see that it's still developing. It's still kind of percolating into what Melbourne City Wrestling 21 onwards is going to really be as such. Um, and I do think in particular this year, 
Melbourne City Wrestling has been able to put on a pretty strong product for the most part in terms of what we see mm. in terms of VOD. Uh, I, I do have concerns regarding how much younger talent are getting uh, jobbed out uh, or um, sacrificed to uh, prop up talent who either don't really need that or you question why they're necessarily being brought over to uh, Melbourne City Wrestling shows in the first place. Uh, it's really unfortunate for them that they were going to have their first kind of academy slash school show. Uh, which they're calling MCW Fusion, and that was going to have Adam Brooks and Royce Chambers in the main event, and that got cancelled due to COVID. And wow, it's a real shame. shame that that show got cancelled, and hopefully they reschedule it soon because I really do think they need that kind of B-slash-school show level to get the talent in from their academy to actually get them to get real experience and also for them to... Uh, look outside my maybe their academy and see who some of the uh, rising stars or interesting talents there are in Melbourne who aren't necessarily part of their already um, set roster who they could be using. Um, I, I'm I'm really hopeful that that's going to do a lot of good work in terms of getting Melbourne City Wrestling to really build up new stars because, as I said you know, they're running really hard with three people who have one foot out the door. Yeah, it is. And, and do you know what? I mean, Gareth put out um, of the sleeper matches, I don't know if you saw this, there were two from Australian wrestling in terms of what were the top 10 sleepers yep. of 2021. Number five on that list is Adam Brooks versus Slex, which mm -hmm. I, I thoroughly enjoyed. And much like every Slex match, but then when, as soon as it finishes, it goes well, when's this going to end? I mean, there's going to come a point where he's just not going to be there. It feels mm. like it can almost be as quick a turnaround as that. And that's going to be a big problem. I mean, do you see any of them? It's difficult to predict how they would all get on in Ring of Honor, but how do you see them getting on? I mean, I think I mean, I think someone, there's a good opportunity there. I think Kellyanne, when she gets brought over, probably should be near the top of the Ring of Honor women's division, whatever that means. I mean, it's difficult to know. We don't even know all the participants of the summer tournament. I imagine on the pay-per-view this weekend, we'll, we'll hopefully have a better idea. Yeah, I think it seems like they're going to use Nicole Savoy pretty regularly, and she's someone who I think Ring of Honor should build around. And mm. uh, Kellyanne is someone, when they eventually get her over, they should build around her because uh, she is a very good professional wrestler. Mm. Um who I think can be that kind of like dominating champion without necessarily uh, being someone I'm trying to think of the way she can be a monster without necessarily having the look of a monster. Mm. That's, I mean, I, I was, I remember the match she had against, was it Avery from uh is that from a couple of months ago? Uh, the one where she won the title? Where she won the title as well. Yeah, and I think she just ran through Avery pretty much. Absolutely ran through her as well. Um, which is actually one of the, and it's getting slightly sidetracked, I suppose, from, from MCW itself. But the kind of rise of Australian women's wrestling in particular mm -hmm. is an absolutely fascinating story. And, you know, it's funny when you look back in doing some research beforehand, there's like this complete dirt, like it's like almost non-existent Australian 
wrestlers in America for the large part. And, you know, we blot over Nathan Jones, whose best part is really Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, yeah. I don't think he's ever going to top that. In that, he's no. amazing. Like, he yeah. is perfect for that. Uh, did you um, know that um, Togi Makabe did the Japanese dub for him? No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. What's his name? It's not Brutus, is it? It's... um. I think it, it might be Brutus. Yeah, just him. <laughs> Togi yeah. Makabe as he's drinking mother's milk. <laughs> yeah. yeah Sweets Makabe was the Japanese <laughs> dub uh, artist for Nathan Jones's character in Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, that's certainly... Well, we never got to experience them at WrestleMania, did we? That's that's something that, that's probably for the best all around. <laughs> um, but in recent years, we've had an absolute explosion of, of Australian wrestling talent wrestling in the mm. States, particularly in WWE, but more so the women. That appears to be where that is. And then, you know, you mentioned Kellyanne there, mention Avery, someone from EPW, um, EPW in... Um, is it Edith Knight? Yeah, well? Edith Knight is one of the new up-and-coming women's wrestlers uh, in Western Australia, um, especially. especially. Yeah, and Jessica Troy is uh, probably the technically most skilled mm. women's wrestler in Australia at the moment. Um, certainly, you can look through, obviously, there's all the shimmer history uh, going back from Madison Eagles, uh from that like 2011 period where she was shimmer champion. And that's how a lot of uh, Australian women got over to the U S in the first place through that connection and through connections with Shikara as well, which we can talk about in more depth later because oh, <laughs> I strong feelings on uh, some of, uh, of those issues, but definitely there's that. And, you know, you had Emma slash Tennille Dashwood, who was mm. the first Australian signed by WWE since Nathan Jones, I believe. Mm. Uh, it has been the Australian women who have risen fastest and furthest in terms of uh, their global outreach and their global standing. Mm -hmm. And now WWE is picking is picking people out of uh, Australia very, very quickly. Um, and for example, someone like Indy Hartwell had, she did a few shows on a US tour, but she'd really never done a Japan tour before she got signed or had done pretty much anything outside of Australia before she was signed to NXT. And very similar with some of the other recent women, like uh, I think Rhea Ripley, I don't think she had any matches outside Australia before she was signed. Uh, if, if there's one thing you can say, WWE have been very uh, looking, I think, a lot closer at uh, the Australian women's wrestlers than they have uh, the men's wrestlers in terms of who they're picking up and who they're picking up quicker. And that's part of the problem with Australian women res women's wrestling as such is in a lot of ways... Uh, just when you think there's starting to be like a, a really deep roster in Australia itself, a couple people went off to the UK and decided they were going to do the working holiday and then try and make it as wrestlers in the UK. Mm. Uh, or they get signed by WWE, or maybe they end up staying long-term in Japan. Uh, no one's really ended up doing that as such, but there's always the possibility it could happen in the future world. But definitely uh, 
there are some great Australian women's wrestlers in past and present. Uh, you'd say maybe there's enough active talent at the moment for a good women's wrestling roster throughout all of Australia. Once we get start getting into individual cities or individual states, uh, that roster tends to look a lot thinner, which is part of what we're seeing with uh, MCW at the moment. So Kellyanne mm. beat Avery, who's on a hiatus at the moment, uh, which uh, is a real shame at the moment for uh, both MCW and uh, other promotions in Victoria because I honestly thought she was... Mm, one of the top stars in Victorian wrestling, uh, kind of just before COVID hit. Mm. So in particular, MCW now, like they didn't have a women's match on their last show. They just had Kellyanne doing a promo tomorrow. All that's advertised is some sort of open challenge with Kellyanne. Um, uh, you look at uh, MCW in particular, and suddenly their women's division as such looks completely threadbare in terms of what's there in in their home city as such. And obviously there are other talents and other promotions who could be brought in or people who are coming up. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's very much a case, I think, where you could say there is the current roster throughout all of Australia uh, for a good women's division, but not really in any one individual state. And that's a real shame, isn't it? Because, I mean, mm. at the moment, like you've mentioned um, earlier on, I mean, there's no chance of getting those kind of in interstate bookings in or it's just doesn't appear to be a kind of option. It felt like Jessica Troy was the last one of those they might be able to do for a little while. And you mentioned about the situation in New South Wales being being terrible as well. I mean, we talk about MCW in that sort of next tier of stars. And there's a couple of names that kind of immediately come to mind. I mean, Mitch Waterman, as he won the ballroom brawl mm -hmm. in 2021, and uh, and Royce Chambers are the two that really come to mind. Um, yeah. They're the, they're the two who, I look at Royce Chambers, and there's a there's frankly a look of the Will Ospreys about him, just in terms of, of how he wrestles. You can clearly see the, the influence that he's mm. had there. Would they be the kind of the people who they you think they'd be going to next? I mean, it's difficult to make any predictions almost about if somebody's going to be going it away. It is. Um, I feel like maybe uh, I, I'm trying to think of what I can say. So uh, Mitch Waterman, uh, who's been part of the Brat Pack with Nick Berry going since 2016, I think he's always been looked at uh, in Victorian wrestling in particular as a potential future star. Uh, it looks like they're going to give him the ball, and I think he's a good worker uh, who has a lot of experience, especially in a tag team scenario. Uh, I'm really interested to see in how he goes in this uh, higher-profile singles position. Um, but to an extent, he's never really been tested as a main event talent. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how he does in that environment. Um, Royce he's Chambers, I think, though, hasn't he? Mitch Ward, yeah, it does, it does uh, feel I think like a lot of that was a good brat is pack, there. yeah, the brat pack as a unit. Mm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he goes, like, without Nick Berry backing him up mm. or, or what sort of role Nick Berry is going to play going forward so they've had like a uh 
amicable end to the partnership at the mm. moment. So obviously both characters are going to go in either direction. Uh, but the idea you think eventually will be some sort of feud or some sort of uh, tension between them. Mm. And Nick Berry is a guy who I think is also very talented mm. and in particular has um, more natural charisma than Mitch Waterman or is more able or has the bigger personality as such. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what Mitch Waterman really is without him or Avery as like seconds who are actually building him up. Mm. Uh, so obviously Mitch Waterman's one of the people who will be, I think, a star talent going forward. Royce Chambers, I think, uh, has kind of stood out as a potential star talent since he uh, started coming into MCW. Before that, he was primarily working for uh, PCW, which he still also does dates for. And then he's also doing dates in Victoria for like Deathmatch Down Under and some of the other smaller promotions around. Uh, and I know he's quite regularly going to Adelaide to work Riot City Wrestling. Uh, when he worked uh, for DDT, that tour he did just prior to COVID, basically, um, he basically got booked because uh, he was in a four-way on a PWA show and he did a really impressive flip dive to the outside. And I think Osprey retweeted it. And uh, then Takashita saw that and basically Takashita said, okay, come over. And it was interesting to hear Royce Chambers tell stories about uh, his time at DDT. Um, I think I think it was on a episode, an interview he did with the On the Turnbuckle podcast, where he's talking about how uh, he would be someone who you're like, okay, great, come over to Japan, stay in the dojo, do the full kind of young boy, young lion experience. Whereas DDT brought him over and went, okay, you're a finished product. Uh, We'll, we'll tell you when you're going to work. But I, unfortunately, I think uh, they, they saw him and went, oh, I, we don't think we need to make you do all the uh, young boy stuff. Um, but yeah, Royce Chambers is probably the most exciting, at least in-ring talent mm. at the moment, especially young talent. Uh, and I think that this losing streak storyline as such i don't think it actually started as a storyline i think it might have just been they were going well he's a good worker but maybe he'll be leaving soon so we can just have him eat losses uh but i think maybe it's turned into a proper storyline now and uh that the idea might be to build more around him in mcw which i really hope is the mm. case because i think he's someone who stands out as he could go straight to the main event tomorrow, at least in terms of crowd connection and in terms of uh, matches. Uh, but yeah, uh, those are two guys who stand out. Um, there's some other people coming up who I'd like to see get more opportunities. They've used Iman the Kid uh, a little bit. Uh, he uh, He's from Malaysia originally and moved to Victoria because he's an international university student in Victoria. Uh, and I know, I think end of 2019, he had a really good match with Robbie Eagles uh, on an MCW show. Uh, he's someone who I'd like to see be built as more of a potential star because I, I, I'm also looking at this from a business perspective. I'm like, I feel like no one in Australian wrestling has tried to tap into that inter international student market yeah. in Australia. And, you know, we actually have someone here who's really good and also really small. So, you know, 
anyone can get heat on him really easily, and I like that about him. Was he involved in the match with the guy who's the judoka, Andrew? Yes, Jake Andrew Arthur. Jake Andrew. Yeah, Arthur. I think he he was one of the guys who got uh, fed to Jake in that big uh, handicap match. That's um, right. He had great so gear. Emmons, he had good gear, if I remember rightly. Yes. The man, the kid. Yes, he's um, he's someone I'd like to see mm. uh, given more focus to. Um, and then there's other people who I haven't seen a lot of, but I think have a lot more potential to grow um with more focus someone like uh an edward dusk who i've been mixed on in terms of what he's done so far but he's going to face mitch waterman on their next show and that's going to be a really interesting mm. test for both of them uh who else dusk gore is another person who i'm really interested to see where he goes uh because uh, Gore, who uh, it's more meant to be a like Leatherface Texas Chainsaw Massacre thing rather than a cane thing, yeah. Uh, but he Does is like actually, <laughs> I know, he is actually Crackerjack's shoot brother, ah. and I got I got told off once uh, because in one of the early Underworld Wrestling reviews I did, which was one of the first promotions Gore worked uh, with Crackerjack as his manager, and I, I wrote in my review. Uh, Crackerjack's uh, brother in quotation marks, and then I got like uh, a note from Crackerjack. No, it's 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 not a work. He's actually my shoot brother, um, <laughs> but he's a guy who, uh, if you look at him, he's f- just jacked to the gills. Yeah, huge, great physical look. He's also got uh, really uh, legit MMA credentials in a way that the vast majority of people in Australian wrestling don't have. Um, so it's always interesting to me, the few matches I've seen where he really gets into utilizing some of that. Um, but he's definitely someone who I'm interested in seeing develop more. And again, on that develop more thing, it's him versus Royce Chambers at Winter Warfare tomorrow. So that's going to be a really interesting match to see, uh, what happens from it. Um, he was also being set up as part of the Cracker Jack Go goes back to school storylines as well wasn't there there was a bit with them i assume so in other promotions crackerjack is working as as his manager as a heel but i think because they're doing the uh crackerjack's midlife crisis turning into him uh going back to school uh as the kind of ongoing crackerjack saga i'm not sure if he's going to necessarily play a role in that because that's a very babyface thing and i don't know if they'll work together as as baby faces as such. Um, and he wrestled Caveman Ugg at the last show? We've not I believe him. so, yeah. And, and, and that was, was where mm. he was me- He was the replacement for Marcus Pitt, who was meant to come over for that show. We will be getting on to him, uh, hopefully, in, in about a minute or so. I mean, just to mention about Caveman Ugg, I mean, he was someone who works PWG, mm-hmm. was like the kind of good name. Unfortunately, COVID seemed to come at a bad time where it seemed to be that he might be going over to the US and possibly even mm. over to the UK a bit more. Where do you see him within this? Does it feel like he's... Because it, it, it's him versus Adam Brooks, isn't it? At Winter yes, War, for, the, for the world title. Uh, Caveman Ugg is a great talent. Uh, you'd think looking at him that maybe it's all just comedy and gimmick, but very much isn't. Um, if, you've, if you've ever seen his Phoenix splash, it's a thing of beauty. Uh, he was PWA champion for a very, very long time, uh, longer than he was meant to be because of COVID, obviously. 
and then he moved sometime last year from Sydney to Melbourne. So he's, uh, I think, occasionally will still be on shows in New South Wales, but is primarily a Melbourne-based talent now. So he works MCW, he works Deathmatch Down Under, he works Wrestle Rock. Um, yeah, he, he is a really fantastic talent. And uh, almost every time I see Caveman Ugg, I am very happy to see him. There was one match of his which I was bitterly disappointed in, but uh, apart from that, he's fantastic. He's, I mean, I... I've always enjoyed him whenever I've seen him. He is someone who, if you're just judging on the aesthetics of how he looks and the the, the costume, he looks like he should be in wacky races. But I mean, mm. ultimately, he's, I think it's one of the Ugg brothers, I want to say it is. Um, but he he looks absolutely, like he, he is a serious talent. And But he isn't someone who, and this, this is probably part of it, is, is there any wrestlers who are able to make kind of full-time living outside of wrestling between kind of, coaching i mean seems like he would have been one of the few who might have been able to at a certain point but in australia you can't make a full-time living just based off wrestling in australia um if i was going to say if anyone is who's who lives in australia as such obviously the people who are signed to ring of honor and probably robbie eagles because of his uh role in new japan and i'm sure robbie eagles will be going back to new japan um when He's able to. He he did last year's Best of the Super Juniors, but um, I, I don't think Best of the Super Juniors is even happening this year. If it does, it might be after G1 again. Yeah, which means they'll be running it. Did they run it alongside the tag? They did, didn't they? Because obviously it was I think Desperado so, yeah. one. Yeah, it was when it was Desperado versus... Um, uh, Takahashi. Takahashi. Yeah, so, I mean... It, it, yeah, it, it, he is someone who... I know that I've enjoyed him whenever he's been over in the UK mm. as well. And he feels like he is the best chance of that kind of in, I suppose, outside of WWE international star, would you say in terms of Robbie Eagles? He feels like he, at some point he's going to be getting a run with that junior title. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you'd say Robbie Eagles is the biggest name Australia, uh, Australian wrestler still based as such in Australia mm. or internationally. Um, and I saw that at the, uh, collision course show where he worked Mikey Nichols in the main event and it was uh, chaos versus chaos to an extent. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, you saw like Mikey Nichols uh, is one of Perth wrestling's legends. He is one of that original crop of kids who started up EPW and who started WA wrestling out of nothing. And he made it to WWE and he made it to Noah in the Tokyo Dome and, then he came back and is, is living here, uh, is in f- phenomenal shape, actually, Mikey Nichols, and is a beast in EPW in a way that hasn't come off in some of his other post-WWE mm. matches has really demonstrated. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he, he is a guy who, even though he's a heel now, the local crowd should always go for him over an interstate talent but Robbie Eagles is enough of a star that Robbie Eagles was the baby face in that scenario and that leads us very nicely into your home promotion of EPW Explosive Pro, Pro Wrestling is that correct? Out, out yes of Ex- Explosive Professional Wrestling uh, which is uh, the biggest promotion in Western Australia which is the state I'm based in uh, one that I've been going to off and on since I was 14 so this is going back to like 2004-ish. Um, oh, wow. 
Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I think even a lot of people I know who are either in the promotion or um, other fans as such, like they forget, oh yeah, you were going to shows as a teenager when we were a little above a teenager, weren't you? <laughs> I was going to say you'd have known probably, there's a, probably a fair amount of the trainees you would have seen come in and develop from fans and going. Oh yeah, it's like... I, I don't know if I was at Shane Haste slash Shane Thorne slash Slapjack's yeah. first match, but I was definitely at some of his very first matches. Is um, that where TMDK example. was formed then? That was the first Yeah, match. basically. Um, uh, they, they were formed... Because it's a formed... faction storyline. Because I think for a lot of us, we think of TMDK as the team from Noah of... of um, very briefly appeared in like Ring of Honor before they went to WWE and yeah. as TM61, um, but it's a whole it, faction, even yes. the former Jonah Rock has been a part of it. It's... Yep, Jonah Rock, uh, the uh, former Elliot Sexton slash Vink slash uh, Tony Modra, which he used for a little bit before the real Tony Modra complained about it, and now uh, Duke Hudson, uh, who, if Triple H still has any sense left should be the winner of that breakout tournament because that guy is a star who's just been sitting in the warehouse for like two years. Uh, anyway, that's another TMDK, TMDK guy. And then Mikey Nichols, <clears throat> Jag Hartley Jackson in zero one now. Uh, and, <clears throat> and then in terms of, Based in Perth, Mikey Nichols is back. Uh, Damian Slater and Marcus Pitt uh, are, are kind of together, and that's kind of the the big storyline at the moment is kind of the those three reunited as a heel version of TMDK in EPW, mm. and then there's also Mikey Brodericks, also a member. Uh, TMDK started with Shane Thorne and Mikey Nichols kind of teaming up uh, in Perth and then they went together to Japan and the US. They obviously had all that great success in NOAA and then went to uh, and then went to WWE. And when they did that at the same time, like there was this big invasion storyline of TMDK invading Melbourne City Wrestling in 2016, which in some ways was like the Kickstarter for uh, Melbourne City becoming the biggest promotion in Australia was that TMDK invasion storyline. Oh, and Slex, like I forgot. Storyline. Yeah, yeah it, it, when we talk about the Australian Wrestling Network later, uh, recommend looking those 2016 MCW shows up. And I forgot Slex is also TMDK. Oh. Uh, and 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 that's the that was the big twist of uh, of the original MCW. Uh, uh, MCW invasion storyline was Slex turning on his fellow Victorians and joining with the interstate invaders. That sounds like a uh, so yeah, TMDK, it's been going for a decade or so now, mm. and it's kind of in a way an Australian bullet club slash Australian, uh, I'm trying to think of a, Almost like a, a, a an actual fight team is maybe the best sort of comparison okay. I can I can have to it. Like you know, in MMA, you'll have people who are representing American Top Team or representing uh, the 
what like, did Shamrock call it? The Australian line... Dan Lambert wouldn't go amiss. I tell you, I don't know no. if you've seen him on on this week's Dim uh, Dynamite, but he is in tremendous. I have not seen form. it yet. He's in tremendous uh, form as always, Dan Lambert. Yes, a lot of love uh, but I, I think that's almost like often, even when they aren't really connected, or even if they're feuding with each other, those guys are still wearing TMDK on their ties. Uh, it's a it's and, a brand, I suppose. And yes, for that reason. To an and I mean, they just put up their most recent show, Evolution, I think, up on their uh, up on their YouTube for free. Mm-hmm. You, you pointed yep. this out to me. Um, really impressed by the main event by Marcus Pitt and uh, and, and Gavin McGavin. Um, yeah. And obviously, I'd be remiss not to mention sort of uh, Davis Storm in there as well, um, who together like they they put on some. You know, this is they haven't got the biggest budget in the world, obviously. But what they did put together in terms of a show and a well-paced show was something that was it was a very easy watch. Mm, and yeah, you can see lots of sort of good young talent coming through. So does it feel like in terms of their setup, does it feel like it's closer in line to a sort of MCW model where they've got like a kind of good, well-developed training school, they've got some good young talent coming through? It's yeah, EPW has um a really good Training school setup. They've got some of the best talent trainers in Australia, like Damian Slater and Davis mm. Storm and Gavin McGavin, are kind of as such the head trainers. And like before COVID, they ran like a a week long training camp where people from all over Australia came uh, to Perth to to do that training camp with them. Uh, Damian Slater, actually, if people who are listening who are wrestlers or interested in just wrestling training and wrestling psychology and all that he's got a great uh he's got a great youtube uh channel called world beta wrestling where he goes through lots of diet advice or um training psychology uh showing off how to do specific moves uh yeah you can really see uh how in a lot of ways people coming up through epw and through wa wrestling gone through that system i think have this really strong grounding base uh because of the the talent of the people and the experience of the people who are putting together the training programs and these are also people like davis storm like mikey nichols uh who who broke in they started perth wrestling out of nothing uh there was they were a bunch of backyarders there hadn't been any sort of wrestling in western australia for 40 years you know, it was the late 90s, early 2000s. They wanted to wrestle. They just started doing it. Uh, Mikey Nichols got really badly injured on like their second ever show and got bad media publicity. And interstate uh, promotions, uh, of of which there were some uh, in a very strange and uh local sense uh in australian wrestling at that time were like oh these youngins are making us all look bad in the west uh but jag and uh a old timer in south australian south australia called cole devani actually brought a lot of those guys over to south australia to do intensive training to actually learn the basics and that's what epw is based off that kind of initial group of people uh, who then offered also like Davis Storm had experience in the New Japan LA Dojo and Mikey Nichols had that experience mm-hmm. in the New Japan LA Dojo and uh, other people who've come in like Damian Slater uh, spent time I think in the Noah and Zero One Dojo as well. Uh, 
there is like this really solid foundation um, mm. to the training and to the system that's now set up. And even uh, what was one of Perth's smaller promotions, uh, SHWA, it stands for Southern Hemisphere Wrestling Alliance, that was bought out by EPW at the very start of 2020. The uh, promoter of that promotion made the genius decision in retrospect to get out of promoting just before COVID hit. Uh, Did he have some contacts in Wuhan at the time? Uh, who knows? One, who knows? It was the actually just like the most smartest decision maybe anyone <laughs> in wrestling made last year. And uh, so uh, is Schwa still running then? Are they running yeah, it as a satellite? So, so they, they run it kind of as a secondary promotion, more family friendly. I'm meant to be going to their show tomorrow night, uh, which I'm looking forward to. And that's a case as well where I think they're using that as well as their school shows to blood new talent and to uh, give people the opportunity to work in a main event scenario who haven't had it maybe on the EPW Gate One shows. It's like someone like the Don Michael Morleone, who's basically been uh, EPW's top baby face, their ace since like the end of 2017. And the Don is a great talent who is really, really solid in the ring as a brawler, Mm. but really good at getting an audience to actually invest in him. Mm. Um, But I think he, he, he was like the champion at Schwa for, I think two years or something while he was still like mostly a tag wrestler in EPW. And I can see how much people who have that experience main eventing on a smaller promotion are just so much more ready to take that leap when they get given the ball uh, on the higher stage. Yeah, you can. It sounds like in terms of them being able to attract trainees as well, to have enough of them to fill up these shows and be able mm. to run these many shows. It sounds like it's. It sounds like it's a good system that it's working, and that they're able to do this kind of development. And there's like a real commitment to making Perth wrestling as as hot as it can be because. I suppose, I mean, you mentioned, are there any other smaller promotions around Perth at all? There is one other promotion called New Horizons Pro Wrestling, uh, which is owned by a New Zealander called Mana, uh, who was in the US at like basically like the pre-Ring of Honor indie time. So he's got a lot Mm. of connections uh, from there. So if you have a look at their cage match, you'll see lots and lots of big names who've actually specifically come out to work NHPW shows. Uh, you basically won't be able to see tape of that because they are infamous for not being able to get tape up. And when they do, it's pretty inaccessible. Uh, so, so that's another promotion. One by the sounds of it. Oof. Uh, <laughs> that's another promotion, uh, in Perth. Uh, I, I'm kind of banned from their shows now, so uh, uh, I haven't seen one in a long time. Uh, And uh, not to get into too much uh, personal drama, but I think I was banned basically because uh, I'm a fan who's also a critic and, you know, being an academic, I can't really shut up if I think that there are things I can give the compliment sandwich on and uh, some people don't even want a compliment sandwich. They just want everything to be positive feedback. Yeah. That positive feedback loop is one of the most toxic things in wrestling and it Mm -hmm. prevents it from growth. That's that's something that is one of my, my particular uh, bugbears. 
where do they run EPW? Because I know obviously there was great mention of the Claremont Street, uh, Claremont Street Street Fight, if I remember right. Yes, that right? Uh, so, so that's the that's the suburb that the theatre they're running at the moment is in for their big shows, which is called mm. the Gate One Theatre, uh, which is a pretty decent venue. Uh, hopefully, they'll eventually find somewhere a bit more central because uh, that one is off like it's in a. It's in actually an expensive suburb, which is where the main showgrounds is, where uh, our version of the, um, do you have like Easter shows or town shows in the UK? I can't, yeah, they were, they are, I think I know what you like mean. Like a town fate. Yeah, like a fate, like a yeah. Big, big town fair. So our, our big town fair every year is at these showgrounds and there's a theatre there, which is where they run. But it's also one where you don't get any foot traffic and kind of any visibility. So hopefully mm. they'll eventually be able to find a more kind of inner city uh, location, which um, you're able to be more visible in terms of, yes, pro wrestling is a thing and uh, people go to it and you should try it out because it might be fun. Are venues an issue in Australia? Yeah. Is it, is it the same situation like over here where there are some venues that just won't have wrestling or if it's Basically. somewhere like Thornbury Theatre that I assume is quite expensive to rent out? So Yeah, I think either places are expensive uh, or aren't interested in running wrestling or it, it's only really recently that promotions have kind of been going away from the town hall, community hall, uh, you know, a basketball court at some uh, sporting venue type uh, setup, I'd say. Um, definitely finding cool venues in particular is very, very difficult and very, very difficult for to find ones, I think, anywhere where you can run regularly or where you can run uh, without losing basically all the money. Because I get the impression that PWA run in a nightclub, from what I've seen of, of them. I'm not sure what they've been doing I lately. They did one watch. show back at Max Watts. Um, they've also been running somewhere called the Factory Theatre, but I haven't watched any of their shows since mm. uh, start of 2020. So I'm not entirely sure what their current situation is. Because um, we have a dearth, or we don't have much in the way of outside of york hall really there's kind of a leap to a few ice rinks which are about three thousand, mm -hmm. and then you're getting large scale arenas which are of the anywhere between eight and 20 depending on where you are and the optics obviously look terrible for that but it feels like where do you where do you grow if you're an mcw and you want to have like a couple of really big imports and go to somewhere else uh, during the new japan tour didn't they have they they run a couple of interesting venues they... i think one of them closed down Oh, yeah. Um, New Japan. So New Japan did run the Festival Hall mm. in Melbourne, which uh, is this very, very famous venue. Um, it's It was the basic home venue of World Championship Wrestling in the 60s when... The original. We're not w talking We're not talking about uh, the WCW everyone knows. We're talking about the WCW that was run by Jim Barnett that was like in the 1960s was the most profitable wrestling territory in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and that was like the home base for it. Uh, it's yeah, also where the Bruno Beatles and played. All sorts, didn't it? And everyone came over. Yeah. Uh, that was where the Beatles played and stuff like that. So it was a really big deal in 2018 when New Japan uh, ran that for the first, it was the first time wrestling had properly run there in about 30 years. 
But that venue, I don't know what's going on with Festival Hall at the moment. I know that it was basically out of Melbourne City Wrestling's price range. They had the one show in 2018 uh, where um, Naito came over and faced Jonah Rock in the main event, and they ran that. I think it was called the Melbourne Aquatic Centre. On VOD, it looked pretty good, but I, I don't know how that was in the future or what the business of it was because they haven't run it since. And I don't know what the plans are uh, for the current team in terms of where they'd look to build past the Thornberry theater. But at the same time uh, I've been saying to go back to MCW and to go back to kind of almost everyone, like when we talk about, okay, is, are the changes in, uh, their their structure, is that going to turn fans off or isn't it? Or what's going to be the business impact of, say, someone like Deathmatch Down Under who who launched and they ran a venue that MCW uh, ran once and had like instant sellouts in what was what they could sell at the time in January. Uh, and it's the same with MCW, like what they can sell at Thornberry Theatre at the moment, they're basically instantly selling out. Mm. But because we don't have the venue restrictions fully lifted as such. You don't have the gauge as to what the actual ceiling is for any of these promotions at the moment. Um, So it's hard to say where do they go bigger, Um, but definitely that mid-level that like step above a 700 to maybe a thousand seater. Mm. It's really hard to figure out where something could go that would be financially viable for anyone yeah it's it's it's, uh, and it always comes down to those kind of economics doesn't it and Mm. if you're if you're epw for example and you're you're running what appears to be quite a sort of quite a well-oiled machine you've Mm. got to be very very careful obviously in terms of the venues and and where you grow and 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 how you do it and the pace you do it at as well. That's, that's yeah. And and EPW is very much um, obviously it has a few people who who are the uh, owners in terms of legal sense, but it's very much this community which is great, but also uh, is a very big ship to move in terms of any sort of uh, in terms of any sort of decision being made or any sort of change in terms of if they're going to change their approach to something. Uh, For example, um, I've been a big fan of what EPW's done so far this year. To me, where they've been falling down is kind of on that VOD side. Um, Just not so much the quality, which I think is generally still pretty good, Uh, but uh, obviously there were some changes at the end of last year, and they have a new editor, uh, editing and production team in, who are still trying to find some sort of groove mm. in terms of getting stuff up on getting stuff out at uh, a reasonable time frame. Mm. Um, evolution was a bit better than the past shows in terms of, I think it was about two weeks between that and it going up online. Uh, the one before it uh, took about a month to get online, which um, I understand mm. people aren't being paid anything real in terms of real money to get this sort of content out there. But it is a shame because I feel like that show could have made a much bigger impact had people been able to see it closer to the filming date, especially uh, we mentioned the Marcus Pitt, Gavin McGavin match uh, from evolution, which was the uh, 
rematch of their match at Collision Course. Uh, to me, their Collision Course match was five stars. I think the Evolution match was very similar. I think I might prefer the first match a little bit more, but I really feel like if that match had been able to have the sort of uh, immediate launching point, then more people would have been talking about it apart from me. Um, and and to me, that's a real shame because I think that's one that uh, sh- should be uh, on that kind of grapple top 10 list. And unfortunately, EPW isn't even on grapple. You can't well, uh, rate matches. So, so that's something that needs to be fixed. I am going to be getting that sorted out. Very thank we, you, JP. We, we will be we will be doing that. Um, yeah, because I can't be uh, can't be having Gareth do that. He's he's too busy with his praise from Dave Meltzer at the minute. <laughs> he's, he's, he's too too distracted from everything else. Um, but I mean, do you see just in terms of one final point about um, EPW? I mean, when watching sort of Marcus Pitt and Gavin McGavin, I was like thinking either of these guys could be signed. Like to to somewhere, and I. Oh, Marcus Pitt should have been signed five years yeah. ago, and WWE turned him down because they said he was he had everything they wanted, but he was too short. Which, I mean, is feels ridiculous in twenty twenty one. It is so ridiculous. I mean, if Ring of Honor are gonna make a play to bring in Australian talent, I I I could see him. I could see him fitting pretty much in anywhere, and. I think, um, and unfortunately, because of COVID, his stuff, he hasn't gotten the opportunities over East that um, some other people have had. He's like in that kind of prime period of a wrestler's career. Mm. Uh, he's He's been great basically the whole time I've been going to EPW shows since I, I went from about 2004 to 2006 and I had a long gap. I didn't really go to any shows till about 2014, 2015. Hmm. From when I started going back, like Pitt's been basically my favorite wrestler in WA. Um, and How I'm watching him now and he is at the best he's ever been. Hmm. And yeah, I, I think he really is a, a guy who in a, a fairer world, fairer world and uh, non COVID screwed up world should be on bowler. He should be someone who uh, is being booked maybe by new Japan, maybe by someone Mm. else in Japan. Uh, He's someone who, you know, in modern WWE, they should sign Uh, though. I mean, unfortunately, if he had been signed or if he had been signed as part of that, like initial cruiserweight classic run, both him or Damien Slater, uh, I'm sure I'm very happy for people who get to make a living from professional wrestling, especially uh, the Australians I know who are good people who have gotten that opportunity. But for most people, it is being warehoused in either the UK or Florida. Mm. Uh, We can see, I think, from afar uh, that it is not a system that seems to be working for pretty much anyone. Uh, and it's a difficult thing that perhaps what might well have happened would be uh, Marcus Pitt comes over and does a tour and that's something that gets himself noticed in a few other places but that kind of landscape doesn't really exist to mm. a kind of degree which makes it worthwhile and then that's even not taking into equation his own family life like with yeah. everybody else you know and if you've made a, a living in your home for yourself and you're happy in Perth and you you, mm. you know you're enjoying that then there's yep. 
you're going to have that impetus to just say, well, I'm actually happy building up this particular scene here in order to pass on, which appears to be kind of really what's happened. One of the the great what if shames to me is on that uh, 2018 New Japan tour uh, mm. in Perth, they were meant to do Damien Slater and Marcus Pitt versus the Young Bucks. But because of uh, schedules and uh, Young Bucks needing to kind of leave as quickly as they could to get from Perth to Los Angeles to somewhere else. And so they could have a little bit of time with their families. Uh, matches ended up getting moved and they didn't get that match. And that's a real shame to me because that is a match that would have had the potential to really make both Slater and Pitt on a international stage. Absolutely. I, you know, it feels like if you can get like the Bucks doing a Bucks match and you're involved in that, then it feels like your bookings would have exploded at that, at that particular mm. point in time. I mean, it's it's interesting. You mentioned about New Japan and I suppose very briefly as a kind of aside, was it MCW they did have the relationship with? There's they never used been Don a... Arnell as the commentator. Ooh, there's never been a formal relationship as such. Um, mm. There was close with uh, MCW and uh, Gino Gambino, um, right. MC, uh, New Japan commentator. Uh, <clears throat> him and uh, Bad Luck Fale really created the Australian-New Zealand connection mm. uh, to New Japan. And so they brought out uh, Okada for that match against Lex, which is the, the, the match which basically puts Lex on the map and uh, that and the Osprey matches uh, is what kind of put MCW on the map in terms of globally. Mm. Uh, so, so there is that history, and certainly, like say, uh, for those uh, New Japan tours, um, they either rented like the EPW, MCW, or PWA rings, depending on which city they were in. And obviously with uh, Robbie Eagles, there's still that ongoing relationship to Australia in particular to PWA in Sydney um, because he's he's based out of there. Whether there's a formal relationship as such, um, I don't know what the future is regarding that. And <clears throat> mm. it's the issue with New Japan, whatever we were looking at in terms of New Japan's international expansion. For the first thing, I think internally they did not understand how much that uh, expansion was tied to Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, but mostly Kenny Omega, that elite crew. Mm. Um, I th think uh, New Japan made a short-term, long-term... Anyway, how that initial breakup uh, uh, went on, it definitely damaged New Japan, not just in America, but I think in all the international, particularly the English language speaking markets. Uh, so that was one part of it. Um, and now, you know, just New Japan is obviously going to be in a rebuilding phase of their own post COVID as such. Uh, so we have to see where it goes. Um, I certainly, uh, We'll see what Robbie Eagles does in New Japan. There's other Australian talents I'd love to see. I'm really, I'm really very much looking forward to seeing what Hanare does uh, now that he's a heel, now that he's uh, the ultimate weapon. 
and Hanare is someone who I, I'm hopeful in like a non-COVID world will be able to work not just uh, New Zealand indies when he's off from uh, New Japan tours, but will be able to work Australian indies uh, more regularly. And um, I think he'd be great to match up with so many people across Australia, like him versus Caveman Ugg, him versus Marcus Pitt, him versus Royce Chambers, uh, him versus Davis Storm. There's so many cool potential matches. Mm. Um, and and I, I know from I've had a few talks with him that it is something that he's very keen to be able to do when the opportunity arrives. And he now also has a, a training school in New Zealand as well called Warrior Wrestling. Uh, and again, you know, New Zealand, Australia, uh, we do have a travel bubble as such, but it keeps getting burst uh, every time there's a COVID outbreak in one of the countries. Hopefully, again, that's a case where we can have in the post-COVID future, we can have more people going back and forth between, you know, the Farley Dojo and the Australian schools and Australian um, and Australian uh promotions and and what uh hanare is doing as well because i'm really keen to see uh what he gets out of his students he looks like someone who is just itching for that opportunity to mm. be able to do something like he's someone who made point of it as well it feels like he's just sort of been treading water for the sort of longest period of time and then mm. there's this opportunity that's arisen and you can tell there's so much character there as well so there's him being given the chance to kind of you know develop himself in different ways on the australian independent scene would be it would be absolutely terrific for him and there's a yeah. good range of opponents for him to wrestle mm. um i was going to ask actually in terms of new zealand it doesn't seem to me maybe I, I could be wrong on this but there hasn't been that kind of breakout independent promotion which seems like given that you've got two training schools from which are quite renowned it, does that does that surprise you at all it doesn't surprise me that much because if Australia is a uh, smaller microcosm, microcosm of the UK, then New Zealand is like to Australia what Australia is to the UK in terms of just size, opportunities, stuff like that. Uh, there is uh, Southern Pro Wrestling, uh, which is based in Invercargill. Uh, that's probably the biggest name promotion uh, from New Zealand at the moment. Um and then they also have a deal, I think, with a promotion based out of Auckland called Impact Pro Wrestling to kind of share talent as, stuff, as such. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's a promotion. Uh, I believe it's primarily run by Marcus Cool and some other people who Marcus Cool was from the UK. I'm not sure which, I'm not sure how far he got in the UK before he moved to New Zealand. I'm going to go and find out now because the name is very, very familiar. But it's I Marcus with K-O-O-L. Ah, uh, okay. That makes sense. We're finding this out live on live on air here. Yeah, so um, uh, he's... SPW is also the promotion in New Zealand where Osprey worked a few matches. Um, right. And uh, so, so there's some of the kind of stars as such of New Zealand wrestling have come out of that uh, uh out of that area and uh, out of that training school. Uh, their current champion, who's also the champion in IPW at the moment, is a guy called Jamie Tagatese, I think. I might be mispronouncing the name. But he's someone who's worth keeping your eye on because he kind of has like a Roman Reigns-style look and he does this cool, like, 
modified jackhammer finish, which I haven't seen anyone else do. Oh, okay. Um, it's kind of almost like a, a jackhammer spear. I think you had me at jackhammer, Kevin. Um, <laughs> like that's always a move that is. As soon as you mention that, it's like, well, I'm sold. That's he, easy. he's a guy who I could see breaking out post COVID. Um, he's obviously getting a big push in New Zealand, but I think he's someone who could be uh, working in Australia and be seen further around the world pretty soon. Um, so, so that's the biggest name one. But to me, I think uh, New Zealand's probably been hurt even more so than Australia by not so much people being signed, but uh, people leaving to go follow their dreams in the UK. So you can know, obviously you had like South Pacific power trip and TK Cooper came back to New Zealand, mm. but has gone back to the UK now. And my understanding that was is his visa, I think. If I remember right. oh, but um, uh, there, there was that in the first place, yeah. but he went back to New Zealand during COVID and worked some shows for SBW and like the first warrior wrestling show and stuff like that. And now I think he's back in the UK. Uh, and it's the same deal with Aussie Open. Uh, they're doing their current run in Australia, but they're meant to be going back to the UK in August. That's right. Um, hoping to see them on the Rev Pro running a big show in Manchester. Mm. And they're also finishing up their tag tournament. And Aussie Open, obviously, were one of the teams who we were thinking they were going to go to Japan. Um, mm. Obviously, and this brings us on to the kind of last of the big promotions, um, PWA based outside of Sydney. Now, something that we did say we'd go back to earlier on and we'd be kind of remiss not to mention at all is the impact of speaking out has had on the um, Australian wrestling scene. Now, if I'm right in thinking that in terms of promotions, we, you know, obviously promotions dealt with things in a, over here in the UK in a number of like ranging from promotions really feeling like they're getting their house in order and teaming up with um, unions such as equity as well. Has there been anything like that as ha that has happened in Australia with any of these <laughs> uh, The Australian well, Arts Union having <laughs> any care about Australian wrestling? No, no, no there's no interest in that. Um, similar to, okay. So obviously um, like when the all parliamentary group, came out i uh read it and i uh listened to some of the podcasts especially the uh one that will cooling did which was mm. really excellent uh with the i forget her name but the lady who's was chairing it alex davies jones i want to say yes. she's, a, she's um, a, an mp in wales for the mm. labor party what she said about the uk that there's no national group it meant not only was there no sort of way to uh have any sort of check on individual promoters but like uk wrestling couldn't get any support during covid you aren't getting the support that you might otherwise be able to get from arts or sports organizations that's all the same deal in australia that there's no sort of national body really holds back what it could do and also specifically with regards to in my opinion, with speaking out and with the idea of reforming uh, pro wrestling as a whole, and particularly Australian wrestling, uh, that there was no national body meant. Individual promotions are run by the promoter is the last word as such. The person who holds the purse strings 
has all the power. Uh, in that case, unless people are willing to stand up to that person if there's an issue, then nothing's going to be resolved. Uh, speaking out, you know, there was cases like some of the promotions in Queensland. There was one which collapsed, which was basically just starting out and was going to be the kind of hope for to be the dominant promotion in Queensland wrestling. And that one was killed by uh, allegations regarding the promoter. Um, there's multiple wrestlers who have disappeared or gone on enforced hiatuses because of uh, speaking out allegations. Everyone has, there hasn't been any sort of uniform response to it. Um, for the most part, my understanding is that uh, you can go by the policy statements which were brought out. I think the Melbourne City Wrestling policy statement is really comprehensive. Um, if anyone looks on their website, uh, they do have their code of conduct and their safeguarding procedures. Um, you know, all of these kind of procedures is stuff where you don't know if it's actually going to work until it's tested. And I know something like the issues with progress and their return showed how potentially hollow that sort of thing can be. But I, I do appreciate that groups like them or Deathmatch Down Under uh, have clearly written and easily accessible policy statements so you can at least go forward with the knowledge if you know of a problem you know who to talk to yeah uh to resolve it and similarly um say epw in perth uh that i'm more on the ground in western australia has meant that i feel more comfortable to kind of continue promoting or giving coverage to EPW as such because um, if I see something that I think is morally wrong going on, I know who to talk to to push forward some sort of resolution as such. Um, you know, there's only so much you can do as a fan, even if you know people, um, but that I'm part of the community to an extent uh, means I've got that added investment and means that I am going to try and use my voice or whatever very small position I might have in that community to try and advocate for positive changes and for positive outcomes for everyone to, you know, keep having pro wrestling as this wonderful art form without us all feeling just sick in our stomachs by engaging <laughs> in it, which is the problem I've been dealing with for the past year. Uh, PWA, in my personal opinion, uh, dealt quite poorly with speaking out. Um, there were two prominent as such allegations against the company or against uh, talent slash promoters uh, to look at it in a big picture. And I'm going to say I'm somewhat on an outlier from much of the rest of Australian wrestling with my position on this. Uh, how to put it. So I'm a fan slash critic slash person who's interested in maybe studying wrestling from more of an academic perspective. So I have a very, very different viewpoint to uh, people who are in the business as such as wrestlers uh, 
And something I've learnt, I feel, over the past year regarding wrestlers, and with all due respect, it's very difficult to expect a wrestler to take any stand that potentially threatens bookings or threatens potential career opportunities as such. If somewhere has a platform, uh, even if there are bad people associated with that promotion or associated with the production or whatever it is, to me, I'm speaking in complete generals, but a general, not even specifics at all. I think for many wrestlers, they're addicts. They are addicts for the rush of performing in front of an audience. They're addicts for the experience of doing this very silly and dangerous thing in public as a kind of play performance. Um, And they are addicts for that rush of getting to go out in front of fans and being professional wrestlers. And, you know, for the most part, most wrestlers are, are never going to do anything which stops them or take any position which stops them getting that opportunity to fulfill that rush. Mm. We look at it very big picture. And to me, like, I think the very biggest picture of it is look at WWE. Look at both its history. Um, just watch Dark Side of the Ring and God. you can see what the entire dirty history of this entire industry, particular WWE is. But uh, this is a system, I think, particularly in terms of speaking out uh, and particularly in terms of addressing uh, issues of sexual harassment, sexual abuse, rape, uh, abuse of minors, uh, emotional abuse, everything that was bad that came out last year and came out all across the world. Like, obviously, we're talking about Australian wrestling now. Um, I think very few people would have covered that, say, uh, in Southeast Asian wrestling. Like, I think the guy who looked like the biggest potential star in the Philippines, uh, who's a guy who's been on some OTT shows and I think had gone to the WXW uh, uh, Academy. He was one of the guys who got uh, exposed for uh, being a creep uh, during speaking out but very few people probably realize that because this was happening everywhere at once. Mm. But WWE um, set the standard that uh, they were able to overlook claims or not deal with whatever the the claims are, especially in terms of some NXT UK talent uh, with any sort of transparency or way that you as a consumer could um, trust their own process. So you think about uh, Triple H's pissed off uh, response whenever people brought up uh, Velveteen Dream Mm. on the conference calls. So, you know, in the very broader sense, WWE set the standard of if someone wasn't going to jail or at the very least being arrested for something, they mostly didn't care. Um, And that, I think, has trickled through every time we think about we're talking about somewhere like OTT, we're talking about somewhere like Progress, we're talking about somewhere like ICW. Um, 
I should try and find something that isn't Brit Rest adjacent to pick on when I'm listing all these promotions. Oh, I think you're fine to do that. I mean, I think that's one of the <laughs> one of the things we're still in the midst of our reckoning. In, and in, in my uh, opinion, uh, Pro Wrestling world. Australia in New South Wales and Sydney, um, I, I lump it in a very similar category to OTT or Progress in terms of how they dealt with issues. Uh, and I think the example from the very top from WWE is part of the reason why we are still having this long process of recovery that feels like it's going nowhere in independent wrestling um, because... WWE showed that unless it's something that is legally force enforceable, they won't care or they won't make a change. Yeah. Um, and that's a sad thing. And that's the thing that I don't think anyone at the larger level of the industry or even the people who uh, speak about wanting to create change are really willing to deal with because especially on a wrestler level, there are very, very few talents who will not go there if they get the offer. Um, mm. No matter what their potential problems are with uh, WWE's history of uh, abuse within the company, um, protecting abusers uh, within the company, a potential abuser being at the very top of the company, um, or, you know, the, the Saudi blood money and going to Saudi Arabia after a journalist was brutally beheaded at the behest of the person who is paying for WWE to go to Saudi Arabia. Uh, that was really my final breaking point. So, so that's the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, and, and this is a whole of society thing. It's not just wrestling. It's wrestling is a microcosm of it. Mm -hmm. And because this is what we're unfortunately obsessed with, this is what we're seeing. And this is how, in a lot of ways, we're engaging with these uh, society-wide problems of unchecked abuse of power uh, through this kind of weird microcosm of independent wrestling. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, my point is uh, I haven't watched any PWA since the start of 2020 because I just was very unimpressed with how they responded to speaking out, in particular two people who um, had the main allegations against them. One is now in WWE and uh, he was accused of bullying a fan um, and the fan claimed that basically she was bullied to the point of serious self-harm. Uh, that's a case where, again, from afar, I can't, uh, I can't tell you anything regarding who is saying uh, the truth, who isn't. Um, it's just from my position, uh, I thought PWA as an organization did not show any willingness to even investigate claims against one of their stars or to put together any sort of pro process which could come to a resolution which would work for both parties rather than one that just worked for them. Uh, and to me... Um, that sort of issue talks about the weird kind of parasocial relationships that they'd, they'd allowed to build between their fan base and their talent and them as a promotion. Uh, PWA really grew off the back of the first Osprey Eagles match. And then uh, they went adults only as such and started running 
quite regularly at Max Watts. Uh, in like feels very 20... progress for those as like a kind of frame of reference, yes. just in terms of um, development. Yeah, and I think it's uh, their their crossover show on that progress tour in 2018 was yeah. probably the impetus for them kind of growing as such. Uh, to me, I, I I just can't stomach it because to me, it feels like there's a lot of hypocrisy involved mm. in how they dealt with claims. Uh, so, so there was that issue I was talking about. And from my position as an outsider, I was less so uh, concerned with the actual allegations, which was something I could understand. Maybe people were just taking uh, kayfabe the wrong way, and uh, you can't necessarily you can't necessarily think about you can't necessarily understand how any one person is going to react to any sort of artwork or performance. Um, but the the aftermath of that, at least on social media, was very much people uh, in PWA and New South Wales wrestling uh, coalescing around the uh, accused wrestler. And there was stuff like we're seeing with OTT, um, these burner accounts popping out of nowhere to attack people who were on the other side of the argument. Um, and that, to me, was more disturbing as such than the initial the initial allegation, which I could understand was potentially just very confused yeah. messaging going back each way that ended up creating a situation that was awful for the person involved because um, I have no doubts that uh, her perception of it was kind of as bad as she saw it or as she described it, even if necessarily it isn't like a hundred percent objective reality as to what happened. It's really worrying in terms of how they dealt with that. Just Well, and, and there was stuff like they just nuked their discord server, which had a lot of the fans who were involved in this kind of uh, discussion. They just deleted it. Um, and there, there was very much this, uh, I think running people have said as well, uh, you're running from the unsafe social media platforms for uh, the promotions as such to the Facebooks and the Instagrams where you have fans who aren't as switched in to the minutia or the, the dirty business uh, that's being exposed. Mm. Uh, for example, like, you know, and if you go on a Facebook uh thread or something or Instagram post, you still see people going, Hey, where's Marty Skull? I, I haven't seen him for a while. Where's he disappeared to? Um, Two completely forms of social media. It's like if you're in, if you not wanting to be held accountable, just go to Instagram. It's like the yeah. easy get out of jail free card. And you know, I like, I, I don't blame people who do don't want to be mm. on Twitter. It's a fucking hell site. Oh, it's yeah. an awful place for anyone to exist on. <laughs> Uh, we should all leave it, but equally, we should probably leave all social media because it's, yeah. for the most part, probably a net loss to society, its impact. Um, so, so that's one situation. The other situation, which to me is the thing that made me want to completely break from following PWA and following almost all New South Wales wrestling, was that the person who owns and runs uh, 
and books PWA is a wrestler named Jack Bonza. Uh, I don't, he didn't found it, but I believe he bought it sometime around 2015. Uh, he was accused of sexual harassment by a fan um, around this time last year. Uh, he just kind of deleted his Twitter account before the accusation came out. There's never been any sort of formal acknowledgement of any sort of uh, process of the person who is the most powerful person in New South Wales wrestling having done any sort of sexual harassment training to deal with that, to deal with his past behavior. There's been no real um, information regarding uh, PWA's code of conduct or their safeguarding policies. Basically, they had a uh, contact form that went up and said, if you've had a problem, please contact us and one of the uh, representative will get in touch with you. Um, I, I haven't looked in a while, but as far as I know, they're Code of conduct for talent, at least, is still not publicly available information. To me, it's a case where, you know, what has been, what was publicly alleged at the time was something that compared to some of the other stuff we've talked about might be seen as fairly minor, you know, um, a guy uh, pushing a fan to send him nudes, basically. Um, you know, if it was a wrestler or a trainer, maybe it's something that you deal with a slap on the wrist as such, or a, a suggestion that you need to go uh, do a certain amount of uh, training or um, do something uh, where we can see that you've reformed and then you'll come back and uh, there'll be a process. But this is the person who is at the very top of the pyramid who is where the buck stops. And to me, when you're in that sort of leadership position, there needs to be a higher standard of uh, both moral and uh, ethical accountability. Mm. Um, and I haven't seen that from them. Um, and, you know, to me, that is just a level of hypocrisy in terms of their approach to how they've dealt with PWA in terms of how they've dealt with that compared to um, other complaints uh, in other places of Australia and the world. I just can't stomach that. And, you know, the thing is, it, I, th this might sound funny to some people or, um, you know, I, I, as much as I respect Dave Meltzer, I don't care that he said that Aussie Open Velocity's match was 4.75 stars. You know, there's no match that's good enough for me to watch it where I also feel like I want to throw up at the same time because I just don't want to give money to a promotion that I think is ethically bankrupt. And unfortunately, that's the position I'm personally at with PWA. There are people I'm friendly with who have very, very different um uh, have very, very different uh, viewpoints on this. Um, but I, I can only speak for myself and the decisions that I have made based off primarily publicly available information, um, you know, who we're deciding to spend money on in professional wrestling or what we're going to recommend for people to uh, watch or if we're going to say, oh, you know, this is a promotion that is worth investing your time and money and life force in. Uh, 
you know, that isn't something where we have to hold the uh, criminal beyond a reasonable doubt uh, level of uh, evidence to how we make those decisions. Uh, those are the kind of decisions that you can you can make based off uh, your gut feeling. And, you know, I'm learning, one of the things I really learned over past year regarding wrestling in particular, but other times, is that for the most part, my gut feeling has been correct and that's what i should have gone with the whole time yeah it's it's interesting you mentioned that there's been again the the parallels to the uk are, are massively there where the you have your doubts over certain promotions and it comes down to a kind of a moral choice that you make yourself about where do you and it where do you donate like you mentioned your time money and life force it's it's still at a point where it doesn't feel like we know all of the information so i've just had a quick check on the pwa website there is a kind of it's more like a kind of a Q&A section if you're wanting to train there, but nothing there if you're actually sort of a code of conduct or anything sort of like an official safeguarding document. Couldn't see any of that on the website, which for a very slickly produced website, you're thinking, you know, like just feels pretty inexcusable. But it comes down, doesn't it, to these to a kind of moral choice that that, that we, we're all having to kind of make. Um, I mean, you mentioned there about PWA. They are probably to an audience that doesn't know anything about those kind of issues they're the most out there of all of the australian promotions because like you mentioned yeah. there, there's a robbie eagles there's an aussie open there from mm. the uk there's the Velocity and charlie Smith evans and charlie evans and probably the fact as well that they're based in sydney which is you know you're talking about large metropolitan areas so they're going to get that you know it feels like they've got much more of that kind of of buzz about them but and you see them on fight if you want to watch mm -hmm. these shows, even the training shows, that they're available and they're there. And I can imagine there's a great amount of kind of excellent workers. I mean, I mentioned very briefly earlier on about someone like... Oh, her, there are many, many excellent... Troy uh, Paris there are Silver. many, many excellent, excellent uh, professional wrestlers coming out of both their schools and uh, who work there regularly. Mm. Um, you know... And uh, I'm not going to though, really, or the main promotion in in Sydney. So the kind of yeah, there's that the and Newcastle Pro, which is based in Newcastle, which is kind of the second biggest city in Sydney. And those are basically sister promotions. They they are essentially uh, not not directly, but they're basically the same promotion. That's quite um, a way, isn't it? The Hunter Valley Newcastle, isn't it? I, I'm not sure exactly how long it is. It's probably like a three four hour drive or something. I can um, with the Johns brothers when I think of Newcastle. Yeah. Uh, to me, I, I look at it as uh, the thing with PWA. Uh, and I'll be honest, uh, PWA is never a promotion I've been a full-on fan of. Mm. Um, to me, uh, it's been one where I think you can see some very good matches. Uh the whole shows tend to be too long for me to watch as a whole show. Um, and there's a lot of mixture of uh, silly comedy that I don't particularly enjoy, um, as well as a really heavy focus on intergender, which is also something that I don't particularly enjoy. Mm. Um, it, it was like, at least up to the point I was watching it, it was like sweary Shikara. Yeah. Shakara with swears. Um, and and that is on purpose. Uh, the people who, uh, Jack Bonza and 
many of their other senior figures uh, were either trained at Shikara, spent uh, long periods of time involved with Shikara and Quackenbush. Quackenbush uh, regularly came over to Australia and to PWA and Newcastle Pro to run week-long training sessions. Um, from the outside, it seems to me like a lot of the same cultural problems that were at Shikara were recreated in Australia with PWA. Um, and, you know, it's something that I don't think uh, a lot of people in Australian wrestling want to talk about anymore, think about anymore, because it's rocking the boat and mm. uh, rocking the boat politically. But it's there. And um, it's very much, uh, if you were... People should make up their own mind as such on any of these sort of topics. Uh, you know, there's an argument. If you watch WWE on any level, like why do you yeah. give a damn about what any other promotion does? Because uh, arguably nothing that any indie promotion can do can match up to the harm that WWE has done to individuals and to society. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like, and this is the thing, I think, when uh, I first started to see a lot of the response, particularly this year, as uh, PWA shows started coming back, and in particular, I think the Aussie Open, uh, their their draw card appeal to the UK, I think, drew a lot of eyes to PWA specifically. Mm. Um, go in with eyes wide open. Don't think that uh, over here in Australia, we don't have the same sort of issues that were demonstrated in the United Kingdom, in Britress. Uh, basically, it's people need to make the decision for themselves. I know which decision I've made, and I know which decision I'll tell people to make if they want to ask me. Hmm. Uh, if they want to ask me, like, what would if we were having an ethical uh, uh, discussion regarding what is ethical practice as a professional wrestling fan, um, I, I could uh, make my argument as to why I wouldn't support uh, PWA. But, you know, everyone's going to approach it differently and everyone's going to have their own uh, viewpoint uh, on this sort of, very complicated and morally gray area. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, yeah. and you know, obviously I'm talking about the sort of stuff that you guys have gone through, especially with progress, especially with OTT. Uh, it's the same problem throughout the world. And it's something uh, we have to kind of conceptualize as professional wrestling fans and podcasters, any sort of hanger on in any way. Okay how do we continue to justify our obsession and what we continue uh, investing into this and uh, what is the way forward? And that's, I think, the idea, one of the ideas that I'm interested in developing in a more kind of academic sense. And speaking of academics, I do know uh, there is wrestling resurgence in the UK. Yes. Um, you know of that promotion? Oh, that's yeah. actually all run by academics. Yes, uh, yeah. Dr. Claire Warden, I think it's Sam West as well. I mean, yes. they're a, they're um, a I've been, promotion I've yet to have a chance to go to based out of Nottingham. I think it's I've been meaning to watch more of it just because I'm so interested in that kind of wrestling and academia connection. 
it's I don't know it should be on it's probably going to be an awful time for you I know that they've got a it's not really a wrestling show per se but uh, mm. this is sort of time dating this that on uh, a time of recording which we're on Friday the 9th uh, this evening they've got a uh, recording uh, they're putting up some show up on their YouTube for free so it'll be an interesting thing to to kind of keep an eye on and I think as well from a from a kind of venue perspective, I wonder why universities aren't much more approached as being possible venues for for kind of running professional wrestling. And I think some of the, the ways they do that in terms of using arts halls and theatres, I always one you never see so much of that in the UK. But I live yeah, in- no, and, and that's something as well here that I think is uh, very underdeveloped. Um, it's not Snowball's and, and chance it's- in hell of Oxford University running uh, any professional wrestling. Oxford wrestling. Uh, that would be something. Oxbridge I mean, look, Wrestling. Oxbridge Wrestling. That would be Oxbridge Wrestling Alliance. There we go. Sort it out. And then, um, then, then you make the main storyline is like the woke students versus uh, oh, yeah. the uh, versus the people who are trying to keep up the Rhodes statue. Oh, exactly. Yeah, you got a Bullingdon Club faction as your heel faction. Yeah, it just writes itself. Like it's yeah. a, it'd be a glorious thing to do. That Rhodes statue is still there, by the way, and isn't coming down. As we've uh, as we've recently found out, to nobody's surprise, given the <laughs> University of Oxford, I'm not um, surprised by that at all. Um, I suppose I've got one kind of last question to ask you. Sorry, yes. were you gonna were you gonna mention something else there? Uh, not particularly. Uh, but mm-hmm. you go through where you want to go. Oh. Um, maybe we'll just do some quick fire stuff so I can plug some other people and things as well oh of course i'll be i'll i'll come on to this. i'll cut this li- this little bit out um so i suppose it's you know i was thinking of a one last question that we've kind of covered the the overview we haven't even gone into queensland which i know from hearing earlier podcasts you've done you've just described it as a basket case and you've kind of gone into tonight with money mark promoters and the like i'm not sure if that yeah was- that, that was the thing and uh mark davis has been based there uh mm. at one of the new training schools which uh opened kind of in the wake of i was talking before that what was going to try and be the dominant promotion in the state uh kind of collapsed because of speaking out issues um and, and unfortunately, I thought that maybe Mark Davis might be staying in Australia longer or like mm. him and Carl Fletcher might be looking at using Australia as the base and going between Australia and Japan, uh, which in a post-COVID world makes more sense than being based in the UK. Uh, but obviously, there's more immediate money in being based in the UK. And uh, I'm sure they've developed pretty uh, uh, extensive lives for themselves in the UK as well. I'll be fascinated uh, to know where they base themselves. Yeah. The, the it, it tells a lot about them. what their future is, I suppose. Um, I could see them being based primarily around Rev Pro because of the, the extensive New Japan connection mm. and then getting into New Japan. You know, uh, Queensland is a case in which uh, there are some uh, interesting things going on with startup promotions. Uh, there's one... Uh, in Townsville, which is, again, very geographically isolated, called Queensland Wrestling Alliance, who put up their stuff on uh, YouTube. And they do some of the more interesting stuff out of what's on the uh, Queensland scene at the moment. And they also run an outdoor venue, basically, in the backyard of a pub, which I find very visually just fun. Uh, I'm game for that. More outdoor venues. But, Particularly around uh, your Christmas time, they definitely should. Be yeah, there. no, no, no. That's something I think we should be doing more of as uh, in terms of Australian wrestling as well. But 
yeah, uh, Queensland has a long history of just being held back by uh, money mark promoters or people uh, who run the territory into the ground. Mm. Uh, that's sad, considering the the kind of how big the state is. You'd imagine, yeah, and considering you know, like you see, Mark Davis, Tony Storm, uh, the, they were both Brisbane. originally from Queensland. Yeah. yeah. I think Tony Storm's from the Gold Coast, if I remember. Yes. Rightly around there. I mean, is there, I mean, before we, we kind of finish, I mean, is there any promotions around, I think, the other states, Tasmania and the Australian, ACT, isn't it, the combined territories? Do Let's the, do, do a very quick run around of uh, everything I can list off the top of my head. <laughs> um, so uh, we've covered WA pretty extensively. Uh, South Australia, I said there's WrestleRamp. Wrestle Rampage and Riot City Wrestling. Uh, mm-hmm. There's another one called Adelaide Championship Wrestling. Um, again, uh, I think South Australia's got some uh, really fine young talents. In particular, there's a guy from Rampage called Tommy Knight, who I'm quite a fan of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, personally, as a product, I think the uh, Wrestle Rampage and Riot City are kind of both uh, unfinished, I'd say. Um, Riot mm. City has always been more of a WWE style promotion, so that doesn't necessarily work for me that much personally. Um, Wrestle Rampage uh, used to be more wrestling focused. Uh, it feels like recently it's kind of become a bit of a meme wrestling promotion, particularly with uh, their current champion, who's a guy called Rat Daddy, who uh, is very over to the crowd live there, but doesn't really work for me on a personal level. Mm. Um so that's most of the things to talk about South Australia, Northern territory. Uh, there had basically never been any wrestling ever in the Northern territory before, uh, until there was a promotion, which was run by a guy called Brad, Rep, Brad West, who'd come over from, uh, Perth, uh, to live in Darwin for a while with his partner. Uh, he started up pro wrestling Darwin, uh, and they ran a few shows. They unfortunately weren't able to do kind of their, uh, their final planned show because of COVID and uh, Brad came back to Perth, but I believe like his students uh, have continued on and are starting up a promotion called top end wrestling. And I believe they have their first ever proper shows as such. Um, I think they're kind of exhibition shows at a pop culture convention um, this coming weekend. So hopefully top end wrestling is another promotion we'll hear more about um in the future good location to do it in as well doing it at a convention like that it works works very nicely yeah um oh, it's something that's happened a lot uh there's this real shindy promotion called awf in sydney which had like a deal to go to a local uh, go to the touring uh conventions and they generally get some other promotion rent out some other promotions ring when they were outside sydney um yeah it, it can work it really tends to annoy the me being in kind of comics i know it tends to annoy the comics people when they're having to compete with the sound of the pro wrestling on the con floor um and and ideally i think you'd want it in a separate location so you know you're actually having an audience who's there for it rather than just disinterested cosplayers walking past uh but yeah <laughs> So, so anyway, um, all the best to Top End Wrestling for their first show. 
uh, Queensland, uh, I was talking, this Queensland Wrestling Alliance, which is worth checking out. Um, I believe uh, Wide Bay Pro Wrestling, um, which is another one which is building up at the moment. Um, it started from quite a place of disrepute, but uh, a friend of mine called Craven actually moved over to kind of northern New South Wales and Queensland, and he's the champion there at the moment, and he's done a lot of work to uh, make that something where you're actually going to see a more interesting uh, breed of Australian talent at that show. Um, and and I, I'm really proud of him personally for what he's been able to do there from a basic starting point of zero. Uh, so Queensland, New South Wales, as I said, PWA is the biggest one in New South Wales and their style and influence is very much um, influenced kind of everything throughout uh, New South Wales. So, uh, there's a lot of comedy in New South Wales wrestling because of the influence from them. There's a lot of intergender as well, which, um, people have differing opinions of. I'm someone who thinks that it's personally not something I'm particularly interested as a fan, um, in small areas. I think it's something that you just need to do because otherwise girls aren't going to get the opportunity mm. to wrestle in th that isn't something that you can do so or only um, ever wrestling each other which has often been the problem in the the uk where you're yeah well, they're only wrestling each other because there's only a couple people yeah. um my, my personal opinion is that i don't think it will ever take off in the kind of mainstream sense that some of its strongest proponents seem to think it will um riptide always did it i, I mean in the way that josh bevan um uh the promoter had, had, had one of the promoters um had, had explained it to me it was almost like you thought of it think of it like street for book it like street fighter yeah or mortal Kombat. that's how i always go to and to me um this is a different discussion that i can go into in more yeah. length but it's kind of like there's a uh a continuum from kind of the the furthest to reality we can get which is like that uh rings uwfi uh pride when it wasn't actual real fights when it was worked uh to something like lucha underground that was complete fantasy real life mortal Kombat, and kind of any promotion needs to find where it fits on that continuum and like the closer mm. you are to a fantasy i think the more you can get away with running into gender but when you try and present it more sports like you reach the point where you go okay um in MMA, we don't expect intergender fights and we're never going to expect it. And it, mm. it doesn't work when you ask me to believe this is a serious sporting contest. Um, and in those cases, I want to see great female uh, or, or non-binary uh, wrestlers against each other in like the case where I can still believe that this is a fair fight with an eventual winner. Uh, when it's more a story, you want me to go all in on a uh, fantasy thing then i'm gonna go okay let's go all in with the intergender stuff but uh, this is my personal position um very long complicated way to explain that uh something which is worth checking out in terms of other stuff on uh new south wales again there's a promotion called future wrestling alliance who run in new south wales um Again, it, it's quite similar to PWA in terms of its setup, but it has different people in charge who don't have uh, public, who, who I don't have uh, public qualms about supporting. 
Um, and in particular, I think it's the only pro promotion now where their current women's champion, Xenia, uh, their current women's champion, Xena, is working in New South Wales, and she's someone who I think has a lot of potential. Uh, and then there's also Suplex Pro Wrestling in New South Wales as well, which is also kind of in that more Hunter Valley region. Mm -hmm. uh, Victoria, we've talked in extensively about Melbourne City Wrestling. Um, Deathmatch Down Under, which launched this year, is uh, easily accessible for international fans because it's all on uh, IndieWrestling.tv. Yeah. Um, I get about Deathmatch Down Under, and I'm not, I'm not a Deathmatch person. I'll put it that yeah, way. I, I'm not a deathmatch person either. And similarly, um, I think they go quite heavy on intergender in a way I'm personally not interested in. Um, it's got a quite dedicated audience though. Um, and uh, it's also one of the ones that has launched with, as I said, all the kind of uh, things you want to see in terms of policy documents from a modern pro wrestling company. Um, if I were to describe it, uh, in, in kind of an eleva elevator pitch, Deathmatch Down Under. Uh, to me, uh, the uh, the way to describe it would be woke game changer wrestling. So I think just that should either tell someone, yes, this is definitely what I want to watch, or say to someone, no, I don't think that's going to be for me. I want to see um, it either way. Like now you've, you've made me think I'm at least intrigued to see this rather mm. than ignoring the various notifications that pop up on my phone. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, to be fair, uh, they do have a, a lot of really talented wrestlers who work there and um, they do a mix of deathmatch and uh, non-deathmatch stuff. Um, having given a few of their shows a go, I know that it's another one where I'm going to be like picking and choosing individual matches I'm interested in rather than whole shows, because just on, as a whole show, it isn't for me. Um, PCW is also in Victoria. That's uh, been running for a very long time. As I said, it was where uh, Royce Chambers got his start, as well as some other up-and-comers like uh, Murdoch and Aisha uh, and Edward Dusk. Uh, they are an interesting case. They're running some of their big shows on Fight Now. Um, some of their big shows, they've also got their own pivot share, but some of their uh, big shows are also available to stream on the Australian Wrestling Network, which we'll describe, uh, which we'll talk about a bit later. Um, it, it, it's an interesting promotion in that it is very much meat and potatoes pro wrestling. Uh, not quite camp shows, but in terms of UK camp shows, mm -hmm. but very much family friendly wrestling and they actually have their own venue which can fit about 500 people i think max uh which which they own and run and they run every week in it so That's a lot good. of the people there and i think this is probably part of the reason why royce chambers blew up in the way he did is that he had a year plus of just working in this uh environment without anyone really seeing him and so he would have gotten a lot more ring time than you would have thought and a lot more ring time than what say we can look at on cage match because PCW is very, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for off that radar. Yeah. You know, and very much, uh, they, they don't and... often post like their full show results on Facebook. So, uh, one of my, uh, one of my, uh, quarantine projects was watching far too much of pcw just to get the match results and put in these year old shows into cage match 
Um, so there's that. Um, but like I said, they are doing some different things now and are, I think, trying to appeal a bit more to the kind of uh, super indie fan base in a way they weren't before. Um, uh, th- there's some other ones who aren't worth talking about in Victoria. Who is worth talking about, though, is uh, Wrestle Rock. Wrestle Rock, which... Um, <clears throat> is has been around in various incarnations for a very long time but it came back in like 2018 it's kind of an offshoot of mcw uh but now it's the promotion that uh chris fresh and mikey j the um former mcw promoter owner uh kind of own run wrestle rock uh is not a work rate promotion as such um it's to me it's just a lot of fun it's, uh, I guess I'd compare it to say a Joey Janela's spring break type atmosphere, but the shows are only about two hours. So you are That's getting that, yeah. that, uh, just death by, uh, too death by much that you get. I think is yeah. what you end up getting with that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's kind of a piss take of wrestling. Uh, the, uh, most, you can find this on uh, YouTube. Uh, they put up for free the Lockie Hendricks versus Drunk Uncle Beach match from their first show this match uh, this year. Um, if you do watch that, you also have to go on their YouTube uh, channel and find the promo uh, promo package for it because that isn't on the uh, YouTube version of the match, unfortunately, because it is a brilliant, brilliant promo package. And that was a feud paying off years of drunk uncle beach is not a wrestler. He is, um, one of the announcers from MCW who on wrestle rock shows, he is, uh, literally drunk uncle beach. That's his gimmick. And they did this ridiculous match. That is just a collection of famous WrestleMania spots. Uh, that is quite glorious in its ridiculousness. I'm but, sorry. you know, at the same time, like on their last show, they ran Adam Brooks versus Royce Chambers, and it was really good. So it's not just comedy as such. Um, but if if you're looking for something raunchy but with a good heart, uh, I definitely recommend checking out the Wrestle Rock shows. And uh, it's one of the ones I went to uh, when I was in Melbourne last. I saw the show that they made evented with um, Avery versus Scarlet Bordeaux. And that was just one of the most fun shows I've been to. You've got uh, good wrestlers often not taking themselves too seriously. And you've got two wonderfully uh, fun and filthy uh, live commentators in Chris Fresh and Julian James uh, doing live commentary over the mic, which got them into a lot of trouble at their last show because they weren't in their normal venue. Um, And the, some of the people at this different venue were not prepared for the full Wrestle Rock experience. Uh, but yeah, check out Wrestle Rock. It's on the Australian Wrestling Network as well, all their um, new shows going back to when it relaunched. Um, and that, again, is definitely something that if you just want something that's going to be fun, uh, not necessarily you're expecting four star matches, but something that you will just laugh at and go, this is ridiculous in, I think, a good way definitely check out wrestle rock uh have i forgotten anything uh tasmania there's a promotion called tasmanian championship wrestling i haven't seen much of their stuff but it sounds like they're starting to build something worthwhile there again tasmania is an island off 
the coast of Australia, which is an island in and of itself. So it's going to be interesting to see what develops there because it is going to be one which is developing basically in a kind of isolation with these occasional mm. guest stars who are going to help these young, inexperienced talents kind of grow into whatever they're going to be. I imagine they'd be uh, based there, in Hobart, wouldn't it? That'd be the only place. I think it's in Launceston primarily, oh, but I think Launceston and Hobart are within driving distance, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, Australian Capital Territory, there isn't really anything. I know that uh, Mikey Broderick from TMDK uh, is going to start up another new promotion that I think is being main evented with him versus Slex in the main event. Um, so again, uh, hopefully that goes uh, well because I think, you know, uh, our public servants who are in the nation's capital deserve to see live pro wrestling as well. Uh, and, and maybe they could like teach uh, our politicians something about how to, you know, actually, actually cut a promo that appeals to people rather than boring them to death. <laughs> Get the labor politicians in there to do that. Yes. No, no. I, I think there, there is a lot that, uh, I feel like just all the social democratic people, we just need to like play them hard times and go, okay, do this, find your version of this and you'll fucking win. Yeah. That's what, well, you, the rise of populism, I think in some no small way, you kind of think you just behave like a heel, just behave like a heel. Mm. And let this wash off. It's amazing how many times I think of that. I think of Boris Johnson, just I'm you, create, nice you create your heel fans. Yep. You create your ultras who will just follow you no yep. matter what. And you get that, and obviously the example of that with, with Trump more than anything else. Uh, um, and there are quite a few um, quite a few academic uh, papers specifically on that. So I don't know if anything's ever really gotten across the fact that when he was in pro wrestling, he was actually really bad at it. Oh, yeah. I mean, but... I think he learned some stuff, sadly. I, I think he learned some stuff, but it, it's amazing if you actually watch, like, the angles with him and Vince. Yeah. And he was a horrible baby face. Oh, yeah. He yeah, was he, just awful at that. And, you know, no... Del, Del Rio was a better baby face than him, which is really yeah, saying something. Yeah, speaking, yeah. piece of shit, yeah. <clears throat> and, you know... Um, we never should have let someone who takes a stone cold stunner that badly anywhere near the presidency. That was a, a real failure on the part of the world. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? I mean, before we get into the Australian Wrestling Network and and um, the, the various kind of projects that you have, I did want mm -hmm. to ask you sort of one question. It's more to do with the kind of television situation than anything else, I suppose. Mm -hmm. What are the things do you think that, really what can be done to make australian wrestling sort of larger on a scale is is television a kind of a non-starter of an option is there it just isn't the value in that i mean even if there's like you'll have state by state television won't you i mean like in kind of local channels is it does it ever cut across into those realms at all or is it just uh, WWE i think it's pretty AEW much had a difficult life getting on to australian tv hasn't it well, AEW is just on Fight Plus now. Uh, it's just a, a subscription thing that you get from Fight, which again, like, yeah. I, I, I don't know where you're at, Tony Khan, but you're really dropping the ball at the moment with not 
pursuing for all I know, they are pursuing something uh, properly, but uh, it's certainly been quite slow in terms of them getting those deals outside of the UK and the US. And I think that is something that uh, AEW should be on top of because there is obviously a very big audience for uh, people who are sick of WWE product, but it's the only thing they have easy access to. Mm. Um, Even WWE in Australia, it has pretty poor uh, viewership and pretty poor market penetration because it's just available on pay TV, similar to UK, I suppose. Yeah, Foxtel, um, which historically, um, at least Foxtel has never been able to make huge inroads into the Australian television market as such. Um, I I think maybe they're doing a bit better now that they've kind of split off uh, their traditional uh, pay TV system from you can also get like just their sports or entertainment packages as separate streaming services. I think that might be a bit better. And my suspicion, my suspicion is that if um, WWE closes the network in Australia, which supposedly is the plan is to find people to sell off the network to um, throughout the world, like they did in the U S with Peacock. I suspect that uh, Foxtel and their KO service might be where the WWE network ends up in Australia. But that being said, um, both them, uh, AEW, uh, there, there isn't uh, anything on free-to-air TV, really, um, which I think is one of the things which holds professional wrestling back in Australia. Um, I've always been very... I don't know if disappointed is the right word, but I think New Japan should have tried a lot harder than they did in terms of trying to get onto, say, some of the specialist stuff. Like we've got a, a, a channel, which is kind of like our Channel 4 called the Special Broadcasting Service, which mm. was started as a um, multicultural public broadcaster as such. Did we do a um, lot of soccer, SBS? Because yes, that it, it was known as either... Migrant communities throughout the... Yes. Um, it's it's old nicknames were either uh soccer bloody soccer or sex or sex before supper because they'd obviously play all the like uh raunchy um european art house films so that's sbs and sbs also have like a spin-off channel called sbs viceland which is meant to be like their youth culture one and i was always thinking like this is the most obvious thing for New Japan to get onto this channel. And this is the channel that now also like has Dark Side of the Ring and stuff like that. Like you've got uh, New Japan, which um, plays to both the uh, multicultural, uh, the multicultural uh, remit of, of SBS, as well as being something which is primarily going to go for a youth audience as well. Mm. And yeah, I, I think that New Japan, part of the reason why New Japan dropped the ball as such with the Australian expansion is that they just didn't put in the work in terms of trying to find a TV outlet because there's only so much you can get with uh, geeks on the internet. That's um, a common history with them. I mean, in the UK, they've, I think they they might well appear on, I don't know, it was one of the channels they went on to recently. I'm just struggling to remember the name of it, where it was a Hulu TV. Um, okay. So, like, 
it's it's not existent on there. Like we we did have a Viceland TV channel, which I think now is is going, but it's that always seemed like it was a perfect fit. And that's mm. why when MLW went on to Vice as well, you're just thinking, like, this is your fit. This fits in with with everything you kind of want to be able to do. I mean, it's a it's a it's a niche, obviously, but when you're mentioning about SBS, from my knowledge of it, I kind of think that's where so I remember seeing a documentary called the I think it was say the Australian Dream about the um, Yes, uh, about um Adam, Adam Goods. Yeah. And you're kind of thinking, well, this is the place for it. This is where you take your kind of risks with your television programming. But no one if they're struggling to get on there, then what hope an MCW, let's say, then in that case, kind of beyond that, because well, and I also think that um to me, I I, I think some people in Australian wrestling, see television as a pipe dream. Um, I think for the most part, people aren't necessarily thinking of it from a logical standpoint. Like, for example, uh, we had one show which started in Australia on one of the mainstream channels. Uh, I, th- I don't know if it was just called Tag or Ultimate Tag, but it was some sort of family competition show about people playing, you know, Tag. Yeah. You know, to check... Uh, there was a thing about people in different states calling it different names like tag or chasey or uh it or whatever but anyway so, so there was this and i saw some people going oh well if this is what they're putting on tv like why can't wrestling or australian wrestling be on uh, national television and i'm like i think even if you were to get a show i don't think people have a plan as to what they do with it because mm-hmm. just trying to do wwe on a Australian TV budget will not work. Uh, I think even even trying to do pure sports won't work. Um, you've got to find, and this is my personal i my personal take on it is that if there was going to be something that would work, it has to be aimed at like the family audience, but not kind of the family audience in the way, say, World of Sport failed in the UK. Mm. Uh, you're looking at like the the ninja warrior kind of audience you've got this weird pseudo sport thing that we kind of present like a sports competition but isn't sports and you have like a structure where you are telling uh you are making the you are making the audience be connected to the the individual people behind the performance slash the competition um to me, if there was going to be something that works, it probably has to come from TV rather than from the promotions themselves. Um, and it needs to be something created specifically for TV and specifically that can appeal to the sort of mass audience that uh, works, that gets into stuff like the Ninja Warrior and the other kind of sports entertainment. I know it's... It's their word. I know it's. it feels awful to say, but it does kind of uh, fit that, like, gladiators, ninja warrior uh, yeah. style of TV. Um, and to me, that's the sweet spot that someone should be looking at, but I don't know if anyone is. And I don't think it's something that could come from the current promotions as they are. I think it's something that would have to come from someone who has 
money backing and um, a, a real plan to do something that will work as a specific television product. And that's difficult on the kind of budgets that you'd get for making Australian TV as opposed to the TV deals that WWE or even an AW are getting. It's Yeah, well, I, I think it's something you could do if you have the right backing and i think it's something you yeah. could do but to to an extent it's like someone need probably needs to do it first in the uk or somewhere else yeah that you know shows that it works as a format and unfortunately um the world of sport was like a curator's egg that didn't uh satisfy Rev anyone rev free sports was kind of good it was okay but it was on a bad channel even though yeah. people say it's free to view, it wasn't like what TNA had on Challenge. It yeah. didn't have that kind of larger sort of free view, free to air that you'd be able to watch. Yeah, um, and even then, I think um, it's the issue of just thinking that we could do like a kind of pure sports style presentation and then that that would actually take off with a uh, more mainstream market. Mm. Um I think to me, that's also like, if you want to go either in UK or Australia or anywhere kind of comparable, like if we wanted to launch pro wrestling on um, mainstream television, I go, okay, look at the kind of wrestling-esque yeah. stuff that's there. What are they doing? How are they appealing to um, a broad de family demographic? And try and do that. But, you know... Uh, I, I don't know if they necessarily are the kind of executives in TV at the moment who are the equivalent of the uh, executives who were coming up in, say, the film industry who like knew what comic books were and were excited mm. about it and wanted to uh, actually try and uh, make versions of this which resembled their fantasies of what a, a big superhero film would be. I don't know if there are people like that in outside media uh who, who have that love and desire of pro wrestling um except for someone like tony khan and other than that i think unfortunately this is part of the uh corporate behemoth that wwe has taken i think so many of the people uh who might have maybe been in other industries but wanting to do stuff in professional wrestling if they are of a certain level, they probably did end up in WWE and part of that uh, broken system. Well, they may not have free-to-air wrestling on in Australia, but one thing that we do have is the Australian Wrestling Network. Did you like to see what I did <laughs> Great there? Great plug. <laughs> Great plug. And obviously you wanted to make a, a mention about the Australian Wrestling Network as well. It's something that I've had a look at. It looks absolutely tremendous. And, um, yeah. So Australian Wrestling Network is a pivot share um, site. So, you know, it's similar to something like High Spots or uh, uh, Power Slam, uh, but it's primarily got Australian content on. Um, for example, it's got the entire Melbourne City Wrestling back catalogue, everything before 2021. So if you want to watch anything from MCW um, prior to kind of the new relaunch this year, uh, Australian Wrestling Network's the place to go also has all the uh, new and historical wrestle rock shows some uh, weird uh, things which are coming out of the woodwork which I haven't gotten around to watching yet like there's some sort of deathmatch show from a lumberyard I think with uh, Australian 
deathmatch legend mad dog i i cannot remember the specifics but that's there's one a that few I of these australian deathmatch legends knocking around the place. oh yeah 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 so mad dog oh, there's mad dog and crackerjack but uh they're both very good and crackerjack is the best promo in australian wrestling who i'm very excited he, he's legitimately been retired since 2017 and he legitimately got uh brain damage in his retirement match uh so it's been a long process to where he is now with the comeback story oh my god i remember making that note about him when he pulls his faces when he pulls his hair back and he always pulls this wacky face and i was like thinking, oh my god he's looked like he's lost the head and it was like oh christ that appears to be a bit more on the money than what i would have expected oh, oh but he, he's, <laughs> he's 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 a he's a very good promo very 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 smart uh uh wrestler and artist performer he's, he's one of the uh Australian wrestling people who who's got a bit more of that artsy uh mm-hmm. bullshit stuff to him. <laughs> uh but I'm going off topic. There's lots of good shit on Australian Wrestling Network, including most uh of the current EPW shows, uh SPW shows from New Zealand, as well as a range of all the other uh stuff you find on all the other pivot shares as well. Uh so it's worth checking out if you're interested in Australian wrestling. Uh, and I know that they've set up a special deal. Um, there's a promo code uh, grapple as uh, the spelling of the app slash podcast. Uh, yeah, that excellent. Is the code. Yeah. Doesn't have that. Um, e, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and my understanding is that the first hundred people to use that code will get a free month on the Australian Wrestling Network. So yeah, definitely if you're someone who already has a Pivot Share account with any of them because that's how it works or or even if you haven't before, check it out. Um especially like we were talking about say like that 2016 Melbourne City Wrestling TMDK invasion, that's mm-hmm. something that's really worth going back and looking at. I think there's some of the classic EPW matches and you mentioned with uh, with some of the um other rest I'm, I'm, I wanted a match I wanted to see was the out of the out of out of the ashes match I think that was that was that yeah, David that, that's on there Gavin McGann. Um, yeah um, and you mentioned Wrestle Rock and about how much of a heap of fun that is so that seems yeah. like a kind of a nice thing to dip my teeth into the, the idea of a woke game changer wrestling as in a couple of hours I'll be previewing two game GCW shows that are on this weekend so it'd be a nice antidote to that mm. but that's uh, brilliant and and you know, thanks to yourself and the and the guys at Australian Wrestling Network for getting that set set up as well. That's, that's yeah, no, no, I was very happy to to be able to set that up, and I think it's one of the best. If you're interested in what we've been talking about and in exploring further, it's one of the best resources that you can find for it. Um, for the moment, as well, if you go on EPW's Vimeo, all their shows are set to free to watch for the moment as well. Um, so there's some stuff on there that isn't up on Australian Wrestling Network yet. Uh, which is also worth looking back at. Um, otherwise, yeah, uh, support uh, wrestling that you can ethically stand behind. I think yeah. is the main message from uh, today's uh, from today's discussion. Um, and thank you so much for having me on, JP. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I've absolutely loved this. Like this has been great. It's just been great, kind of delving deep into. Um, into a territory like this and just learning stuff mm. a lot along the way from it. And absolutely phenomenal guest. We'll, we'll, we'll have to get you back as soon as they start reopening a few, a few other things. Or when we get on to doing some of the, 
hopefully some of the reviews of some of the bigger shows that, that that'll be coming up i mean I'll, i look forward to, to hear what you have to say about those but where can the good listeners find your work and find you that is a good question. Uh, I'm trying to think of, is there anything worth people actually following after I had my earlier spiel about how bad social media is? I am on the bad website, uh, Twitter, uh, Kevin Chiat, uh, C-H-I-A-T. Um, trying to be on it less, but I'm still on it. Uh, and, and there you'll find me doing links. Anything I put up, uh, anything I submit to Voices of Wrestling will be linked there. Um, if you don't already follow uh, VOW and uh, go on their site all the time, I think it's mm. one of the best resources for understanding what's going on in professional wrestling globally. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, VOW, uh, anything else? Uh, if, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm KLCult uh, is my handle. Uh, my Instagram is pretty much all pictures of my Labrador, which is to be fair, much more interesting than anything else I could post on there. <laughs> so uh, other than that, um, I've done the majority of... Yeah, no, no, I, I'm good. I, I've done pretty much all the, the plugs I think I need to do. Uh, thank you so much for having me on, JP. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. And thank you, all of you listening. Um Give us some feedback. Let us know what you think. Obviously, we've mentioned about a lot of promotions and a lot of, uh, and, you know, get a good idea. If there's anything that maybe that anyone has to ask, we'll we'll, we'll bring you back maybe for an Aussie, Australian wrestling q and I've avoided using the word Aussie almost for the entirety of this. Oh, yeah. And not well, using I, the phrase I, Aussie graps, because I'm assuming that's oh, not Oh, really I hated a... that. <laughs> uh, someone tried to make it a thing, and I was like, no, it's not a thing. <laughs> and I, I'm also resisting Ozress as well. Like you yeah. can keep that. You I think. That. I think since we've seen that the death of Britress is dead, as our as 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 our podcast is pretty much more famous for saying than anything else at the moment. It's we, dead. Grow up. Yeah. It's dead. Grow up, isn't it? Uh, but, um, where I'd say Australian wrestling, it's not dead, but uh, you know it could use an electric uh, defib- defibrillator shot mm, to the heart. And certainly a big yeah have that big wake-up call in case things, mm. things get out of hand but thank you ever so much today kevin um and we will i will speak to you all later on monday we're doing an episode of spotlight there'll be other content coming out on patreon.com forward slash grapple as well this is where you're initially hearing this and then this is going to be up on the main feed um so yeah thanks very much bye, bye.